available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout 247 Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com, the USC site on the Scout 247 Network. And we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football as we're winding down crazy that we're winding down the college football regular season. We're going to recap everything that happened, all six games in the conference on Week 10 and preview the five games coming up for week 11. If you want to get a hold of us, we do love to hear from you. Get your questions. Pac12podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Pac12podcast, our website, where all our shows are, and some commentary and stuff at Pac, I'm sorry, Pac12podcast.com. And if you want to leave a voicemail, we haven't got one this week, so leave us a voicemail. We'll play it for sure. 641 715 3900 is a number, extension 734 972. We need some more voicemails, Dave. We really do. Ryan, let me ask you a question. Yes. Do, do you know the phrase, this is why we can't have nice things? <laughs> I've heard of that, yes. Yes. Um, so if you're listening to this, my audio quality might sound oh, maybe a little diminished. That's because my four-year-old, my darling, <laughs> lovely four-year-old, was playing with my audio mixer, and uh, now I have a USB port that is basically bent sideways. So. Oh. I'm yelling at you from my computer mic via my Apple headphones. This is kind of like old times. Well actually, like old times, we were actually good because we were in the same room. Like we were at, like at the Fox Studios. Remember that? Like that was fun. Yeah, yeah. No, legit old times was our best audio of all time. And then I did this for a little while. And then I moved to doing my own mixer, which has given us some pretty decent audio quality up until today. Yeah. Where... It'll return to the raw and gritty past. Uh, but, yeah, we need more voicemails. We need more voicemails from all of you. Um, we haven't gotten any in a while. It feels like you only do it when we prompt. So here's our prompt. Yeah. Send them in. All right. So we got a little bit of uh, news, Dave, we should talk about early on. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Was that a new audio drop you just developed for this? Yeah, just a new drop that I use. Uh you know, I, I'm not big on the drops. I like whatever's in my system. Like so what we have. But uh, if you have an idea for a drop, I'll I'll put it on my little board here and uh, play it away. Um, so offensive, defensive, and special teams players of the week. So Khalil Tate did not win his fifth in a row. It was Luke Falk. Um, so they had the 24-21 win over Stanford. Spoiler alert: um, <laughs> 337 yards passing. He was uh, 34-48, three TDs. So he had a pretty good day. Um, and then on the defensive side, now I didn't vote for him, but uh, for Oregon State, because, you know, when you lose, I don't usually try to vote for you. But now is it Mansay Hungaloo? Is that how you say his name? Sure. I think that's a good bet. We're going to go with that. He had 20 tackles. So that's, that's a, lot. a lot. Yeah. So uh, I get it. I get why you want to vote for him because he did have 20 tackles. And then Dante Pettis had another punt return for a touchdown. So uh, he has more than anyone on the planet. So uh, yeah. props to uh, props to him. Uh, I had a couple other notes I'll read for you if uh, 
Um, so of the so I I know at least two of the Pac-12 Players of the Week nominations. Uh, the offensive side were former walk-ons, Luke Falk, and uh, the running back from Cal. Why am I uh, Laird? Right? Yeah. Laird. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty funny. Like two of the guys nominated were former walk-ons, um, and then this one came from John Wilner. He said the past two weeks. Only two of the 12 Pac-12 games have been decided by a touchdown or less. So, And they were both Stanford games, Stanford-Oregon State and Stanford-Washington State. And the home teams just crushed it. They were 10-2 uh, and two, uh, over that stretch. So uh, home Pac-12 teams have been very good. Um, I took a lot of road dogs. Uh, it didn't never, work out. Never so a good bet. No. Um, it didn't, didn't work out well for me this week. Mm-mm. No, it really, really didn't. Um, and in fact, in fact, um, you had been steadily making progress. And then in our preview show uh, last week, you you decided, you know what, you're just going to pick different from differently from me in, in four different games. And, and that, well, that just didn't really work out the way you planned. <laughs> no, three, uh, you went three and one in those head dead games. And it wasn't a plan. It wasn't a strategy. My picking away at you strategy I think I was kind of Khalil Tate. I crushed you in October. I was crushed everybody in October. And then November starts, and it just kind of fell apart. Yeah, yeah. Though, hey, Khalil Tate made a little comeback there at the end, too. So and we'll yeah. talk about that in a little bit. So maybe you've got that in you. We don't know. You might. We might. So what we're going to do is recap uh, the games from Week 10, and we'll preview. Uh, there's only five games, so we got some buys. Uh, the, the preview uh, Week 11 as we're winding things down. So, Dave, I think it's time for our Pac-12 Roundup. Oh, yeah. You ready for that? You ready for some I was born ready for this. Born ready, sir. Okay. So, uh, what we the first game we're going to talk about, and we're going to go reverse order of our all-important Pac-12 power rankings, because, you know, that's what we do here. Uh, So, first, our number 12 team. Oregon State Beavers. And uh, they were on the road. This was one of those road dog situations taking on California Golden Bears. Yeah, so uh, this is one of those games where we disagreed. Um, I had Cal and the eight points. Um, so Cal won 37 to 23. And um, Cal really dominated this game. Um, the final score was a two touchdown game, which is probably about right. This was It was still a one score game for most of this Pretty much this entire game, it felt like it was a one-score game. Um, but Cal outgained Oregon State by a wide margin. Uh, they were able to run the ball really, really well against this Oregon State defense. Patrick Laird uh, had a really, really nice game. We mentioned him up top, but 33 carries for 214 yards. Um, I want to give some credit for to Oregon State, though. Um, Thomas Tyner is doing some really fun things in the run game. Uh, Daryl Garrettson, his numbers never pop out to you, but... He's making pretty good decisions with the ball. Um, I mean, it's a 14-point loss on the road to Cal, but there have been some much better teams who have lost by far more to Cal um, in uh, in Berkeley this year, including Washington State. So I think it was a credible result. I thought Oregon State was competitive in this game, but Cal Cal's just a different team at home. Uh, Ross Bowers was really good in this. Um, their rushing attack was really good in this, and you know, I, I think it was it was really something for Oregon State to keep it that close for a while because they, I mean, they really didn't have the yardage totals to be doing that. No, and, uh, you know, Cal did a great job. It's just so weird. We've seen this defense play well. We've seen them play poorly, give up a whole bunch of yards to, like, someone like Khalil Tate, which, you know, most people do, uh, but only 104 yards total rushing 
for Oregon State. And uh, Patrick Laird, like we talked about, uh, 214 yards and he had a touchdown. So they were just, you know, they looked like they were in control of this game. I thought, you know, I kind of thought it would be a touchdown game. I thought they'd keep it close. And it was really that way most of the way until the end. And uh, that's how some of these games went where you're covering, you're covering, you're covering. And then Oregon State wasn't covering. I just kind of felt the Corey Hall factor. He's been so fired up. He would get this team rolling. And uh, on the road, it was a different story, Dave. They just didn't look like the same sort of fire. And maybe, you know, maybe losing those those win, those were like emotional wins or the, the moral victories just didn't keep carrying over. It was that really tough one uh, Thursday night against Stanford. Um, you know, they had, you know, they had the bye week before that and a really close one with Colorado. I kind of felt they could build on some of that momentum, but they just didn't look, it looked like they kind of took a step back. I don't know if you feel that way, but. I, I didn't so much. I mean, I think it's the, the home road thing that we talked about that Wilner stat up front. I think Cal, Cal has been a much better team at home. Oregon State has been a much better team at home. And the, the two games that Corey Hall had where they looked really, really competitive were both at home. Uh, this is a different deal. They weren't able to seal the deal at either of those those home games either, even though they came really close against both Colorado and Stanford. So I, I think expecting them to go on the road and, and, and win this game was probably a little uh, – probably be a little bit much. Um, and maybe they could have covered, but I didn't really see it as them playing that poorly. I think Cal is just um, – uh, just kind of a cut above at this point. I thought Oregon State looked motivated. I thought they looked energetic. I didn't really see a lack of energy so much as just they don't necessarily have the talent to, at this point, uh, just go on the road and, and and beat or play really, really competitively with a team that is well-coached, probably is a little bit more talented, and uh, certainly has more to play for. Uh, you know, Cal is still very much in the mix for a bowl game um, in Justin Wilcox's first year, uh, and you know they want that, so... I think it's a, you know, they have a lot more to play for, but I didn't think Oregon State was, you know, I didn't think they regressed to pre-Corey Hall levels. I thought they were uh, still pretty competitive, especially in that first half, um, and it just didn't, you know, they just couldn't generate enough offensively to really keep up with Cal. Yeah, they needed that. Um, so interesting in this game, kickers were six of six, college kickers. Three, uh, yeah. three 49-yard field goals were made. Like, how nutty is that? Like, does that happen a lot? No, no, not outside of the state of Arizona like a week ago when like a bunch of uh, 55-plus yard kicks were made. Yeah, that was yeah that was nuts too. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see with Oregon State. It's, it's rough. It's rough sledding. Uh, but the Beavs, maybe they can bounce back. We will see. Uh, but nice win for Cal. Um, took care of business at home. Should we move on to our next team? Let's do it. So uh, at number 11, I think this is new number 11, right? UCLA uh, yeah, I don't Bruins. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's fine. Is that so? Yeah, wasn't it like we didn't have UCLA uh, eleven before? I don't think so. I think we had them as ten, pretty much permanently up until this point. Yeah, so they dropped a spot there. Um, so UCLA, uh, they were on the road. This was the Friday night game taking on Utah Utes. Oh man! Um, so UCLA lost forty-eight uh, seventeen, and you know what? I, I, I sometimes um, maybe get a little bit negative about UCLA on this no, program. I know, no, I know, no. I know that seems a little shocking, um, <laughs> but sometimes I, I'm known to get a little bit negative. And I got to tell you, um, I, I tried to think of a different way to frame this game, but um, no, I mean it was just horrible. Uh, UCLA was horrible. Uh, the first quarter was maybe the most unwatchable quarter of football I've watched this entire season. Um, both Utah and UCLA just like it looked like. 
Um, neither had any idea up until about 20 minutes before kickoff that there was a game today. Um, they, I think each team called two timeouts within the first like six minutes of the game. Um, UCLA had multiple plays where they either had 10 men on the field or 12 men on the field, and they had to call a timeout. Um, on, their, on Utah's first touchdown in the first quarter, UCLA only had 10 men on the field. Um, just, like, so disorganized. Like, even get, get past the 31-point the loss, but just so disorganized from a fundamental standpoint. Um, and that's always an indictment of coaching, just when you can't get the guys set up, you can't get the right number of people on the field. Like, these are just fundamentals. They're basics. Um, and UCLA was a cluster early on that. Um, so the Bruins, uh, they, they were without Josh Rosen. Uh, Devon Modster uh, came in and started, but then it turns out that he broke his thumb, banged it on um, a Utah player's helmet. So Matt Lynch came in at the end. I thought, actually, quarterback play was uh, the least of UCLA's issues in this game. They had a very conservative offensive game plan, um, and then uh, uh, the defense continued to be just um, a, an atrocious cartoon version of a defense. Um, Utah uh, definitely got right um, offensively against UCLA. It was a little bit of a slow start, but they ran for well over five yards a carry, um, 50 carries for 272 yards, and Tyler Huntley had a really good day. Um, 15 of 22 for four touchdowns, as well as 93 yards rushing. Uh, UCLA really is the cure for the common offense. Um, and uh, there was nothing particularly good to take away from this. Yeah, UCLA's backup quarterbacks look like they're somewhat competent, but um, nothing else from it. But Utah, um, they, they got they got right, and they look like they're going to be um, doing fine for a bowl game and potentially a little bit more than that. Yeah, this was um, – I was out with my wife, like doing a little happy hour thing. And then we're trying to get the game on. And uh, it was, it was like FS one. And then, but it, like there was NASCAR or something on. And so they were like, put it on FS. Was that right? Was that, am I getting this wrong? There was a truck race truck. Oh, <laughs> this game got superseded by a truck race. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was, I didn't think it was going to be a good start, but when I got to settle in at home and got to watch most of it, I think I, I got to miss some of the really bad stuff. Um, there was a, like Darren Carrington had an amazing, uh, touchdown catch in the second quarter. Um, that was pretty much, I think he ended up getting banged up. Right. And didn't really come back. Yeah. He was out half. for most of the second half. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do want to give a shout out. One of my friends had a great line, which was, it was a truck race on Fox sports one and a boat race on Fox <laughs> business channel. Oh, it went to Fox business, right? <laughs> yeah. It was on Fox business for a little bit. Um, and then. I can't remember if it went to FS2 at any point, but it went to Fox Business before it came back to FS1. Yeah, they didn't have it. They didn't have it at the bar. Like I couldn't get it, so they were you know, whatever else they were they were watching. But it just kind of like it felt like Utah started to get right in the second quarter, and then um, Tyler Huntley threw a seventy-five yard pass to start the third quarter. So then it just seemed to like kind of you know snowball from there. Um, Theo Howard, I thought they hit a great one-handed catch. Um, in that grab, and like it was two plays in a row, like the UCLA defense, the UCLA offense looked like I think it was the end of the second quarter or something. They looked like they were getting on, getting on track. That Theo Howard one-handed catch, and then Andrews, I think he had his like tenth touchdown catch of the season. Uh, yeah, and then he promptly tore his ACL and he's oh, done for the year. That's yeah. There, and that, that was the other note I had here was there's so many injuries. Um, it was just, it, it was just the attrition was terrible. I think on both sides. But at the end of yeah, the day, I, I wonder about that turf because there were so many people on both sides, like going down with what seemed like ankle and knee injuries. Yeah. Um, 
I, I would wonder if there's maybe something they could do about replacing that turf. Uh, it, 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 a lot of that stuff can be coincidental. It's just one game of sample size, but um, after so many injuries, I'd at least look into it. Yeah, there was something something kind of weird there. But I thought, you know, in the first half, UCLA was running the ball okay. It just, things just kind of got out of control. At the end of the day, when you get your yardage doubled, UCLA had 249 yards, Utah 506. Um, it's, it's not going to end well, and you're going to see the kind of lopsided score that we we saw forty-eight seventeen. That was, I think, that was the USC Arizona State score too the week before. Yeah, this is. Um, I mean, this is. It, it, I was trying to think about this too because at this point, um, there's obviously starting to be a little bit of heat um, on Jim Mora. Um, how this ranks against the worst losses of his time, um, and I think given. You know, I, 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 I'm on record here, Utes fans. I think Utah's a pretty good team. They haven't been playing well of late. In terms of the context of the opponent, this is probably the worst or second worst loss for Mora um, in his time at UCLA. Um, this isn't a great Utah team. I think even Utah fans will agree with me on that. Um, and losing by 31, even on the road, that's that's you know that's the kind of loss that makes you know even people who are on the positive side of things kind of stand up and look like, huh, that's not great. Um, and I, I think it's com- comparable sort of to the Cal loss last year to end the year. But even that was like an end of the year, like nobody cared, including the fans. But this one, you know, UCLA was still eyeing a bull game and they still are. But at four and five, it might be a little bit more difficult. Um, but losing by 31 points in the manner in which they did, where it wasn't even competitive, especially in that third quarter, uh, just got out of hand really quick. All right. Well, should we move on to our... Uh... Our next game That's here. Good. All right, so this one, our number, uh, our number ten squad, Oregon Ducks. I like that quacking. Do you like the do you like the quacking, Dave? It's pretty. I good. like the quacking, and that's about the only thing nice I'm going to say about Oregon. Here. <laughs> they were they were on the road. This was this was my one, uh, the one one I got you on. Uh, they were on the road against Washington Huskies. <laughs> Well, I was buying all the stupid stuff that Justin Herbert was going to be available, and instead we got the Braxton Burmeister show again. If I'd known that, there's no way I would have picked Oregon. Uh, Washington won 38-3. to um, This was so bad. I mean, I watched uh, – I, I couldn't stomach it after too deep into the third quarter, but this was – oh, boy. Uh, Burmeister did virtually nothing in the pass game, um, 7 of 13 for 31 yards and a, and a, and a pick. Um, Oregon kind of ran the ball well, but like given the fact that they have literally no passing game, they need to run the ball at like a pretty much minimum of a six yards per carry clip. And they're just, they're not doing that. Um, in this game, they were under five yards per carry and that's just not good enough when you're running the ball 55 times. Um, Washington was efficient and good offensively, but the main thing was they were just really good defensively, um, mostly shut down Oregon. Um, it, it just wasn't even pleasant, really, to watch. Uh, Dante Pettis had another punt return for a touchdown. Um, it just—I mean, this is just ugly. Um, Oregon has to get Justin Herbert back ASAP if they want to make a bowl game because it's—I mean, I know they beat Utah at home, um, but they've got Oregon at home coming up. We'll talk about that one in a little bit. Um, actually, we won't. I think those two teams are on a bye, so we're not going to talk about that one in a little bit. Um, and then Oregon State at home to end the year. So you got to figure they've got a, a win in there somewhere. But, man, they need Herbert back. This this offense just does not work with Braxton Burmeister at quarterback. 
They did. Um, I thought he threw the ball pretty well. He had uh, 331. Oh, wait, no. He had 31 passing yards. Is that right? <laughs> oh, that's yeah, not he as had, good then. Had, okay. What, what, what was his yards per attempt then? Like 2.3 <laughs> or something like that? Um, that's not getting it done. That, uh, is, that is not getting it yeah. done. That's that's bad. Um, you know, and it was funny. Like you could have seen Oregon keeping it close early because they were. Washington wasn't necessarily clicking yet. They were kind of in that feel out mode. They they you know tried a long field goal. They missed it to start. I think Oregon was up three nothing at the time. They had to try another long field goal. I think they had tied it at three. I mean, it just looked like. Like, if you're watching it, if you're, as from Dave's point of view, you're like, hey, I want Oregon to cover the 21 points. You're like, oh, this is good. This is going to be a classic Chris Peterson. But then it just started to spiral out of control. It wasn't like Jake Browning went crazy. He was 11 and 19 for 204 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Um, but this Washington defense was just relentless. It, you know, Oregon couldn't do anything. Uh, Washington actually leaves the nation 3.7 yards per play. Um, so they're they're like you know a quarter of a yard better than Alabama, who's next uh, next up on the list at almost four yeah. yards of play. So uh, pretty, you know, this, this you could tell that this Washington's defense wasn't going to give up much, and then the, you know the the offense got rolling, got Pettis with a touchdown, just sort of those things just started to happen. It wasn't like Washington was playing great throughout, but um, they definitely were better, and they were playing well enough that it was going to be this kind of blowouty type of score. Um, but it's. You're just worried. You just I, when I watch Washington, you worry when they start to play more talented teams. Um, but they look good, Dave. I mean, this is a team that you know could potentially still make the college football playoff. But I don't know. I mean, there's something about it that they're just leaving me a little. There's a little something left to be desired, I guess you say, when you watch Washington. Yeah, for sure. And I think some of it's the quality of their opponents. I mean, they really ha- they still haven't really played anyone who's great um and that'll change uh well not really but they'll play a pretty decent team this friday but yeah i mean it, i i do want to focus on that first quarter because i think there was there was a moment where this game felt like it could have been competitive that first drive for oregon um they drove it down the field really nice just running the ball running the ball running the ball but they did it really well they were doing a lot of stuff where they would have the running backs line up out wide and then come in on the on the run action um and that seemed to kind of throw Washington off a little bit. They never knew how many guys they could have in the box, and it seemed like that kind of um, threw them off for a little bit. Um, and then the second drive for Oregon, they had it going again. Um, they drove it down all the way to the Washington 26, and then there was a fumble, um, which Washington recovered. And those two drives, they moved the ball so well that, yeah, if they if they'd finished both of those drives with touchdowns, like if it had been instead of, Three nothing Washington after two drives. It was fourteen nothing. Then you would have seen like potentially a real game that Oregon could have controlled. But when you have such a one-dimensional offense, you have to be like basically perfect. Like you have to finish those drives. You cannot come away with three points from two drives that go you know within the Washington twenty-five. Um, and that I thought kind of was the story. And once. Washington figured out what Oregon was doing in its running game, which was a lot of that motioning the running back into the backfield and then working from there. Uh, they just kind of shut it down after a little while. So Oregon just needed to land those two punches to start out with because um, that might have kept it close and competitive. But this was going to be a Washington win no matter what. It was just a question of by how much. Yeah. It ended up being by a lot. Um, yeah. 
All right, so our, our number nine team. California Golden Bears. Uh, we had talked about them. Uh, let's see. We're, our number uh, eight team is. Colorado Buffaloes. So this was a fun one down in the desert. Oh, you want to read off our other team? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Should I? Uh... <laughs> this was in the desert. My bad on that. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> Just ironing out the kinks still yeah. here in week 11. Um, so this was a fun one down in the desert. Um, Colorado going on the road to ASU. For the longest time, it looked like this was going to be um, uh, the, the game that brought us into a tie. Uh, for this week, uh, but then ASU came marching back. Um, heading into the fourth quarter, this was a 27-17 game, and then ASU scored 24 fourth quarter points to win by 11 points, as one does. Um, what was really, really interesting to me about this game was how well Arizona State ran the ball. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot on this on this show over the years about the quality of Demario Richard and Kalen Balaj, but if you actually look at the statistics, uh, Arizona State was among the worst rushing teams in the country coming into this game. Um, the fact that they exploded for 381 yards on 54 carries is bonkers. Um, this is not an offensive powerhouse by any means, as anybody who watched USC versus ASU a week ago could attest, um, but they really exploded in that fourth quarter especially. Um Colorado, I thought, played a pretty competent game up until that fourth quarter um, when it just Demario Richard suddenly was carrying the ball for 63-yard gains. Um, but up until that point, I thought Steven Montez was fine. Um, he played a fine game, um, good enough for them to win. I thought Philip Lindsay, you know, I, I thought he did enough against what's become a pretty stout ASU defense over the last, um, well, save the USC game over the last four games. Um, but it just... Uh, that onslaught that ASU was able to put on in the, in the fourth quarter was just hard for anybody to deal with. And, um, and it was, you know, I was really happy about ASU scoring their, uh, their final touchdown with mere seconds to go, uh, to give me <laughs> the, uh, the firm cover there at the end. I think there were, yeah, there were all 46 seconds to go. Um, I think they potentially could have kneeled the ball out at that point, um, when they ran in for a touchdown and I appreciated that. Yeah, that was uh, that wasn't good. Um, so when you watch these games, looking for covers and stuff, there's okay. You you look at it. Do people care? Like oh, the point spread and stuff. Like we do because we like pick the games we want to get your know, win against each other. There were so many reasons that Colorado should have not just covered but won this game, um, which was crazy. If you remember early in the game, um, so I'm watching it. So I'm in the, in the press box watching this on my tablet. Um, so you're watching, like, okay, you know, Colorado's looking pretty good. Montez's looking pretty good. You feel pretty good about what they're going to do. Um, they do a flea flicker, which is like, okay. Sheffield is wide open down the field. I don't oh, know if yeah. you saw that. Oh, yeah. I mean, he there was no one within, like, 20 yards of him. Perfect pass from Montez. Like, hits him in the basket. He would just walk into the end zone, and he just <laughs> drops it. It's like, it, rarely do you just see seven points just, like, poof, just go away. Um, and I want to say that happened at least twice. I want to say there was a Devin Ross ball that hit him right in the hands as well, where like it would have been either a huge gain or a touchdown. I can't remember which, but there were at least two drops that felt like they were like huge momentum swings yeah. against Colorado. So that was bad. There was a fourth and one, 
they had Philip Lindsay, I think, it was like in punt formation. I don't know how far away he was from the line of scrimmage, but it was like this slow developing, like, I hate when teams do that. You're like, what What are you having them 10 yards behind? It's fourth and one. Um, they just got stuffed. There was a slow developing play. That was terrible. So just leaving points on the board there. Then right before the half, they give up a long touchdown pass to Arizona State. It just didn't look like it was Kyle Williams for the second week in a row right before the half catching a touchdown it's like you saw him do this the week before are you doing anything but still despite all that colorado was still in control of the game and then like you said a 24 point fourth quarter comeback i was just like are you freaking kidding me dude like that's when i already like marked down as a win um and it was not but arizona state ran the ball over seven yards to carry colorado and philip Lindsay 2.8 that was that was certainly the difference but i mean so many just controllable self-inflicted wounds on Colorado's part they wouldn't have been close enough if they would have done a couple of those things right that they that a 24-point comeback could have uh done that at the end were you watching the game through like the real end game where Colorado was trying to drive at the end for their you know meaningless score no, did I you think, watch through that part I think I switched over I think it was like the Washington game at that yeah, point. yeah yeah so um I just want to bring this up because I thought it was kind of funny and kind of like not great too. Um, so Mike McIntyre at the end, um, uh, they're trying to drive down the field and Montez completes a ball to uh, Jay McIntyre, uh, Mike McIntyre's son. Um, and then it's like, it's like 30 seconds to go or 35 seconds to go or something. And McIntyre, uh, the son falls down and looks seemingly a little bit dinged up. I mean, he got like flipped over on the play. Like he, he looks a little dinged up. And he's a while getting up, so they have to call the injury timeout, um, which then forces the, I think, 10-second runoff. And McIntyre on the sideline is losing his mind, screaming at his son to get up, get up, get off the field, and, like, looks livid. And the announcers, the the Pac-12 network announcers are just like, wow, why is he so mad? Is is he mad because his son got hit? And I'm like, no, you dummies. This is this is a coach. This coach is angry that his son won't just rub some dirt on it, get up, and leave the field so there's not a 10-second runoff. I, I just thought it was such a funny moment where the, like, the announcers are clearly not getting something that is apparent if you could just read like just the slightest little bit of lips That's where funny. he's just screaming, get up the entire time. It was tremendous. Coach, I, I, my favorite part of this game. Coach's sons have uh, been, it's been rough going for Coach's sons. Uh, you could be Especially a Especially in that Colorado-Utah yeah. uh, duo. Mountain I mean, Region Alex Whittingham has, has cleaned it up a little bit recently, but that was looking pretty bad for a while. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on. Uh, our number seven team we talked about. Utah Utes. Uh, our number uh, six team we talked about. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and then our number five team moving up, we have... Stanford Cardinal. And they were on the road uh, up at the Palouse taking on... Washington State Cougars. Did we really have them moving up to five? I think they stayed five. We, okay, that seems fine. I think so, um, but I should drop them because they missed the cover by half a point, which really makes me mad. <laughs> so Washington State won this game 24-21, despite Bryce Love being back for Stanford and despite K.J. Costello uh, starting for the Cardinal. Um, Love clearly didn't look 100%. No. Um, he had one explosive play, but the rest of it was basically nothing. Um, he 
16 carries for 69 yards, but 52 of those 69 yards came on one play. So he was 15 for 17 on the other 15 runs, which is not great. Uh, KJ Costello wasn't great at all. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we maybe look, you know, mildly dumb, but honestly, the Stanford offense, um, statistically it like looks pretty good, but when you actually watch it, it is so boomer bust. Um, and with a Bryce love who's limited at this point, it's more bust than boom. Um, and that's pretty much the way this, this game went for the Cardinal. They just couldn't get much going offensively. They only had a total of 198 yards on 47 plays, uh, which is very bad. Um, Washington state was, it was again, another one of those situations where they looked significantly better than Stanford to the point where this should have been more than a three point win. Um, as it was Washington state had to come back in the fourth quarter to win it. Um, cause they were down, uh, 21, 17 heading into the fourth. Um, you know, Luke Falk was fine. Um, he had some pretty good moments and then he had some shaky moments. Um, he's just having kind of a weird, uh, final season in Pullman. Um, he got pulled last week for Tyler Holinsky for a long time. Um, and he, he looked better this week for sure. And he was taking more shots downfield, which is a big key. Um, but he just doesn't look quite right. Washington state was able to run the ball fine, but, um, it's just kind of a weird game. Um, again, it, it, it's this weird new look Washington State where the defense is, you know, really the thing that's carrying them. Um, but I, I thought they should have won it. It, it felt kind of like, um, not kind of like, but it felt kind of similar in that sense to the Washington State USC game at, at, at in Pullman, where it was a three point game, but it felt like it it should have been um, Washington State winning by ten because they just were they, they looked that much better than Stanford uh, on Saturday. Yeah, it was a weird Luke Falk game, but, you know, and I didn't vote for him, uh, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, he won, but he did become the all-time Pac-12 passing leader in the game, so kind of like similar to Pettis, you know, he gets the the record, you maybe give it to him for that. I mean, obviously he played really well. I was trying to watch this one um, as I was driving into the Coliseum. uh, That's always a safe thing to do. On my phone, like attached to the dashboard, and uh, I see that uh, Bryce Love, you know, whatever, it's like a 52-yard run or for a touchdown. I'm like, all right, you know, Stanford's up. I'm getting points. You feel pretty good about this one, too. Uh, the first quarter was like a punt fest. I think there was – everyone had 50-yard-plus punts. Um, but, yeah, after that, it just didn't seem like Love had much. It, was, it seemed like he had good straightaway speed, but he couldn't really do a lot of the shifty stuff that, you know, he was kind of known for. And he's not like the biggest back in the world, so it was going to be tough for him to – to get things going, but that you know that you thought that Stanford would maybe lean on this smaller defensive front for Washington State, but they would you know shoot in gaps and and stunt and do all kinds of stuff, and it was it was pretty crazy. Um, Stanford only made it to the red zone one time, Dave. Like, how can David Shaw screw up the red zone if they never make it in there? Like that doesn't seem <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Uh, Costello was nine of 20, 105 yards at interception. Um, I kind of feel like David Shaw was maybe keeping him down so it doesn't look bad. Like if, if Costello yeah, went yeah, crazy. Yeah, no, that's exactly what he was doing. He yeah. was just holding him back because he didn't want to look like an idiot. Yeah. Uh, Washington that's State, true. they'll get this. So only two sacks for Washington State, but they had 11 tackles for loss. So you about like just run plays where they just going backwards. Like I said, they were shooting the gaps. Um, uh, Washington State won the time of possession by six minutes. That's bad for Stanford. That usually doesn't happen. Um, and, and nine different Washington State players caught a pass 
34 total passes. Stanford had nine passes caught. <laughs> so that was, so yeah. that, like that, you look at that kind of stuff, you're like, how is that? They were even on the same field, and how was this even close? Um, but yeah, watch, I, I, my final note I just wrote Washington State just played better. They did. Uh, but to, to lose a cover by a half a point is, uh, is tough. It was, it was a tough one for me to stomach, Dave. Yeah, and I do want to shout out uh, for Washington State, Hercules Mata'afa. Um, he, his stats don't really show it at all. He had like one and a half tackles for loss and like one hurry, but he kind of changed Stanford's blocking. Like they just had to pay attention to him on basically every down, and I think that kind of got in the back of Costello's head a little bit in the back of the coaches' heads, like they just seemed like they were not dealing well with um, the aggressive uh, Washington State defense. And uh, I think that was a big part of why they struggled so much offensively. There was, a, and, a, and we've said all this stuff. Like if you, you know, you think Washington State won by 21 points or something, Stanford was winning the game halfway through the fourth quarter. Like that's what was bizarre. Um, Washington State ended up scoring. And then uh, I think it was Scarlett had a, a long kickoff return, like to midfield. He got tackled by the kicker. Like if he beats the kicker, <laughs> he's going for a touchdown. So Stanford gets yeah. great field position, but they go they go three and out. And then they punted the ball, and it was like should have been easily down inside the five, and they screwed that up too. It was just like, and then they gave up a couple first downs, and it was over. But it was like Stanford had not only the lead in the fourth quarter, but like multiple chances to score again and just did it or pin Washington state deep. They just screwed up all you could in the fourth quarter. The, the teams I picked this week, they, they, they collapsed in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, but like Sanford shouldn't have been in this. Like they had a pick six, um, they did, which yeah. all those kind of plays, they're fluky, like whether or not they're going to happen or not. Um, they, I mean, they won the field position game decisively. Cameron Scarlett, I think he like averaged 30 plus yards per kick return and had a 47 yarder. Uh, Daniel Maddox had a 46-yard kick return. Um, they were, I mean, they just, they, they did a lot of the special teamsy, defensive scoring type things that just don't show up when you're looking at the yardage totals, but yeah. they also, like, it, it's hard to replicate those things. Um, and Washington State, uh, they were just the fundamentally better team, both defensively and offensively. Um, and it's it's nice to see that actually hold up in the end. But yeah, I mean, this was crazy that Sanford um, it's crazy that Stanford scored 21 points in this game. Like that's crazy. Yeah. They should not have. They they didn't have. They didn't have 200 yards of offense. So um, <laughs> it's impressive that they were able to manufacture that. Uh, but this, I, I do not know what to make of Stanford this year. I still do not. And we are nine full games into the season. For I them. really. I just had like. I just felt like they were going to turn the corner, and maybe the Bryce Love thing just hurt more than you know. If you thought he was going to play, you didn't think he was going to play that. Poorly, it really wasn't like he was out there, um, but just such a huge difference when he was healthy. This was a different team, but um, yeah, crazy. Okay, so we're gonna move on. Our uh, our number four team we have Arizona Wildcats. Now they're top four uh, after the great October they had. They were on the road taking on USC Trojans. So USC won this game 49-35, but with, I want to say, five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, this was a tie ball game, 35-35. Arizona had come storming back after falling behind 28-6. to uh, The first half uh, was really bad for Arizona. Uh, Khalil Tate, I thought he, uh, maybe you think differently, I thought he was pressing 
like very much pressing early on. I didn't think he looked fully comfortable in front of the hometown crowd. Uh, but then he really settled in in the second half. He started playing with a lot of passion and fire, um, you know, just <laughs> gesticulating after every play. And um, it seemed to really fire up this entire team. The defense started playing better. Uh, Tate was really the catalyst, I think, for that second half surge on both sides. Um, and he finished with decent stats uh, by anyone's standards, uh, over 300 total yards, uh, 26 carries for 161 yards, um, 146 yards passing. Um, he was he was good, um, but to to beat USC um, on this day, where at, at the very least USC's offense was uh, was moving it, um, and especially the run game was moving it that well. He needed to be at the level he was at against like Colorado and UCLA, and uh, he wasn't quite there. But Arizona was in this, um, and then uh, you know Sam Darnold and this rushing attack just kind of took over at the end of the end of the fourth, but. Um, this was impressive for Arizona to hang in there um, when they were down 28 to six and put together a really, really fun second half. That was like tons of fun to watch. And then it was also really impressive for USC um, to kind of knuckle down, um, put together the scoring drives at the end. Their rushing attack was super impressive. This isn't a great Arizona defense by any stretch of the imagination, but Ronald Jones was a dude in this one. And it felt like honestly at 194 yards, it felt like this could have been like 250. Um, but he was impressive. Uh, Akasedric Ware was impressive. Um, it was just, uh, it was a really impressive offensive performance for USC. And, uh, you know, I don't think Arizona should, you know, feel any sort of shame for the loss here. I think they look like, uh, the legit second best team in the Pac-12 South. Yeah. Uh, Ronald Jones had, uh, was 194. Like you said, he had a 98 yard run and a 12 yard run wiped out with penalties. So he would have been over 300 just on just on those alone, um, which was crazy. And Arizona State's run defense is not like UCLA bad, but it's bad. And they were just kind of pounding on it. But USC would get in the red zone and then just do kind of stupid stuff. Um, it was weird. Like, you know, Sam Darnold threw an interception in the end zone from the one-yard line. They were just running down the field, and then they, they run some – try to run some pick play or something, and he just throws it into a crowd of Wildcat defenders. And so it was weird that, that – it was, I think the USC defense did a great job just containing Tate. And basically, they kind of took up all the lanes. Everyone stayed in their uh, gaps and stuff and, and contained him. And so the run wasn't there. And when he was throwing the ball up, it just looked like just random throws. Like, to, I don't know, you know, to like just throwing the ball down the field and hopefully someone's there to catch it. It just did not look good. But then he started rolling. I think they did a lot of misdirection stuff in the second half. And they were moving the ball. Arizona was moving the ball so much better. The problem is they turned the ball over three times. There was one time, you know, I think early in the third quarter, Tate ended up fumbling it, trying to get some extra yards. Um, it was this weird Pac-12. We got to talk about the referees because it was pretty, oh, it was pretty oh, awful. But um, yeah, so they <laughs> they didn't call it a fumble, but it was and whatever. So that that was a drive that got thwarted. He threw a couple of picks um, that thwarted drives at the end when USC was taken away. But USC could have. If they were just a little bit competent on offense, finishing a couple of drives, put this game away early. They didn't let Arizona stick around, and you got to give the Wildcats and Khalil Tate so much credit because they there was a, a window, a small window of opportunity, and they jumped through it and, and took it. And Tate was so much better in the second half; he was much harder to stop. Really, only got stopped when they turned the ball over. Uh, but then, like you said, at the end when USC needed it, when it was tied up at thirty-five, they just ran the ball down the field, ran down their throats, and. 
Uh, you just felt like you could have done that the, the whole game. So oh, it was yeah. weird. But the 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 officials, I don't. I mean, I've never had more official complaints. Like people complain about the officials all the time. Pac-12 well, ref, glasses ref, all that kind of stuff. I, I did a podcast earlier today, Dave. I've never had. I had three voicemails, four text messages, and a handful of, of emails all having to do with officiating. And I know fans can go overboard and stuff, but the the media and the press box were complaining about it. Sports Illustrated wrote on their front page of their website about the officiating in this game. It was god-awful, and they slowed the third quarter down so much. It was already late. They just made it unwatchable, I thought. This was like a four-hour game. No, I so the, the officiating, my so my distinction here is, like any single one of the calls, like I didn't really have a problem with it. Like there were a few that were iffy, but there's a few that are iffy in every single game. My issue was they would take like five minutes every time they threw a flag to figure out why they flew the threw the flag. It was like if you're gonna do this, I mean, at least make it quick, right? Like confer really quick to figure out who did it and what they did, and then announce it and then move on. But there would be like these conferences. There would be these. I mean, they reviewed two back-to-back plays for targeting, neither of which ended up being targeting. But they took, like, a minute or two minutes on each review. And it was just – and then there would be these, like, conferences where, like, five of the the officials would get together and they would just talk for, like, a minute in the middle of the game. And it just made it interminable to watch. Um, I mean, and I thought the the officiating was probably imbalanced. Um, Whenever you see something like three penalties for one team and 14 penalties for another team, look (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> discipline is a thing in college football for sure but like is any team that much better than another team at discipline like and not like holding and you know all that kind of stuff unless it's a team getting beat to crap and they're just committing a lot of personal fouls because they're frustrated at the end of the game you really shouldn't see that disparity that that reflects yeah maybe USC has some penalty and discipline issues obviously they they're you know among the the leaders in the country in penalties but 14 penalties to three. I mean, that's more of a, this is an officiating error. Yeah. There, there just seemed like a lot of incompetence. And uh, and I don't know. I mean, I don't like to. And, oh, God, I got it. And, okay, go and Rod Gilmore, my <laughs> goodness, he is the worst announcer in all of college football. It is stunning how bad he was. So you weren't watching the TV no. feed. I was. Um, so when Arizona scored to make it 35-33, and it's like whatever it was, seven minutes to go, eight minutes to go in the in the game, and he started talking about how Arizona doesn't necessarily need to go for two here. <laughs> like, what planet are you living on, where they don't need to go for two there? Like, it just made zero sense. Yeah. Like, what if that's the last? I, I mean, so all right. So what if USC doesn't score a touchdown after that? What if they score a field goal? They would have liked to have gone for two there, Rod, so that they would only be three points down instead of four. It just, I mean, like so much was bad about this game aside from the quality of play in the second half. Like, it was such a fun second half that it made up for all that stuff. But, boy, yeah. this was some, just a whole lot of dumb all for, around. For the conference to showcase, like, a player as special as Khalil Tate four weeks in a row, and he goes on this historic run that no one's ever done before all of those games on the pac-12 network you get your shot to put it now it's late but it's on you know espn it's at night and that's the kind of crew you put out there and that's the kind of product where it was 
changing the time three different times, like announcing they were on the mic. So <laughs> it was like the, they were at a concert or something. I don't know what was going on. Like you heard this guy's voice and I hate when they announce why something wasn't a flag. Like if it doesn't a flag, just move on. Like I don't need to hear. It was just baffling bad, but I don't like the, you know, we get a lot of USC fans, Dave, that are right in, as you know, like conspiracy, they're against USC, the discrepancy. Yeah, that, that shouldn't be happening. But my, I don't know if they're competent enough to like try to do that in one direction or another. I just think it's total incompetence, but something's got to be done. Dave Hirsch, who's the vice president of communications for the PAC 12 was there. He got to see it. He could hear the media from both sides in the press box talking about how bad it was. I don't know. I mean, they just seem to have their head in the sand. I, I was kind of optimistic going in that maybe officiating would be better this year, but so many games we've seen, Dave, it's just bad. And I, I don't know what they're going to do about it, but they got to do something. Yeah, I mean, but uh, it's been bad forever. So it'll continue to be bad yeah. forever because that is that is our lot in life as Pac-12 <sighs> Yeah. All right. Well, let's finish up the ranking. So we, had, we, we talked about Arizona was four. Uh, number three, we have Washington State Cougars. <laughs> Number two, we have USC Trojans, and still at number one, we have. So they didn't we didn't jinx them at least. Washington Huskies. Cool. And, and that's our uh, Pac-12 ranking. So should we preview some games? Let's do it. Okay, so we're gonna start. Uh, we'll we'll go in chronological uh, order. Uh, we're going to have our number one team in action. Washington Huskies. And they're going to be on the road. This is a Friday night game against... Stanford Cardinal. All right. This game is on Friday night, 7.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Number 12, Washington going on the road. Number 21, Stanford. Washington is favored by six and a half points. Um so when you're analyzing this one, Stanford's defense is not a great Stanford defense. Their one strength on offense is uh, an explosive rushing attack, and Washington is one of the best. So it, Washington is statistically, right now, as we speak, the best defense in the country. Yes. Uh, by a few different metrics, but including advanced stats. Like the S&P Plus has them as number one defensive team in the country. Um they're also really, really, really good at preventing explosive plays, which is all that Stanford is offensively. Um, and Stanford hasn't really even been that good at that of late. I have Washington covering this relatively easily. I don't I, – I, now, this could be wrong. Um, Stanford has been, you know, one of those teams that bounces back for poor performances – I'm just really disconcerted by how rough they looked offensively against a worse Washington State defense last week or this past week. Um, so I like Washington to cover this one relatively easily. I think they're going to win by a couple of touchdowns. Yeah, this is a surprising line for me. It's got to be you know the home field advantage, which isn't all that great to be honest uh, when you're talking about Stanford. But you know Washington does have to go on the road and play. Even if they mess it around, like you're talking about two two coaches here that do like to mess around and maybe not win by as many points as they should, but it's six. It's like us under a touchdown. I just have a hard time picturing Washington doing that. Now, will the uh, revenge factor come into play? You know, maybe uh, Stanford went on the road and just got you know boat raced by Washington last year, but I, I just think Washington covers this one fairly easy, Dave. This is one of those lines that's like, really okay, well. Uh, I'll roll my dice with Washington any day a week on this one and, and see what happens. 
Yeah, this is uh, one of two kind of really lines of the week for me, and we'll get to our, my next one in a little bit here. Okay. So our uh, so the next game we have this is our what do we have them at number two USC Trojans. Uh, on the road, taking on our number eight team, Colorado Buffalo. All right, this game is kicking at 1 p.m. on Big Fox, uh, number 17 USC going on the road at Colorado. USC is favored by 13 and a half points, which is a lot of points, um, I think. Uh, Colorado. Uh, despite the loss to ASU, has been playing better of late, especially offensively. Um, against Cal, they were pretty darned explosive. Um, against ASU, they were pretty good again. Um, uh, we'll just ignore the fact that they got shut up by Washington State three weeks ago. But they've looked better. That's my point here. Uh, USC has been, aside from the blowout victory over ASU, which like ASU didn't even look like they were in that game at all mentally, uh, they've been a rougher road team than a home team. Uh, lost at Washington State, uh, lost badly at Notre Dame, uh, played a really competitive, tough game at Cal. Um, uh, this could be a tricky one uh, for USC. I, I think I'll take Colorado plus 13 and a half uh, just you know, for a variety of reasons. Namely, USC is still like not great against the spread, even with beating the spread last week. Um, I, I think Colorado will be able to do some big play stuff against this USC defense. Um, it's a good USC defense. I don't think it's a perfect USC defense. And Colorado's been scrappy enough defensively that I think they'll be able to slow down USC a bit. I think USC is going to win. Um, I, just 13 and a half feels like a, a, a little bit too much on the road for me. I'm on the same page as you, Dave. Um, yeah, I've still got my rule that I'm not picking USC to cover. Now, they've covered two weeks in a row. So if they do it three weeks in a row, I'll probably have to rethink it. Um, but I thought they played well against Arizona State. I didn't think they played as well, even though they did a lot of good things against Arizona. They still covered that spread. Um, not sure they're going to play as well on the road. I think they probably win this game by like a touchdown or so. Maybe it's a little ugly at times. Uh, but 13.5 is a lot. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with you and take Colorado and those points. Okay. Uh, so our next one up, we have our number three team. Washington State Cougars. Uh, and they are on the road taking on our number seven team. Utah Utes. All right. So this game's kicking at 2.30 p.m. on the Pac-12 network, number 25 Washington State at Utah. Um, this is a Washington State minus one as of this very moment. Uh, wow. These kind of narrow lines always, uh, or don't always, but sometimes uh, tend to change a little bit. Um, speaking of teams that have been different on the road compared to home, uh, Washington State famously lost 37-3 to Cal on the road and then got blown out by Arizona on the road, 58-37. So they've got a pair of double-digit losses on the road this year. Both of their losses have come on the road. Utah's a competent-ish team. Um, they looked pretty good last week against UCLA. Um, they got their running game going quite a bit. They got their passing game going um, quite a bit. Uh Washington State has a good defense, uh, but Utah's probably, I won't say it's, it's not a better offense than Stanford, but it's more multidimensional. I don't think Washington State's going to be able to tee off on Utah as much as they were able to tee off a little bit against Stanford. Um, str- strictly for the road game factor, I think I'm going to take Utah to win here. Um, it just... I think Washington State's good, um, but they have been a different team on the road. I think Utah... Kind of got right, <laughs> as 
UCLA has cured a lot of teams this year. Um, <laughs> and I think Utah uh, got the, the cure from UCLA last week. I think they're ready to uh, put together a nice end-of-season run here. So I'll take Utah. I don't feel strongly about it. I think this one can go either way, as evidenced by that one-point line. But I'll, I'll take Utah. Yeah, I, I feel kind of the same way as far as I don't feel strongly. But I'm going to take Washington State this one. Um, I just feel like this is the, they're going to start making that run now. They're going to, you know, start playing well. They do this at the end of the season sometimes. I think it's going to be set up for a, a really great uh, Apple Cup. So I like Washington State in this one. I'm still not sold on Utah. Now, they definitely play better at home. Um, and you could see them putting together, putting it all together with special teams and offense and defense. But the way Washington State's playing on defense right now, um, they're just doing a really good job. And I think they're going to fluster Utah enough. They'll still score enough points. Um, Jamal Murrow has been doing a great job. Obviously, Luke Falk, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week. Um, they're not as good on the road, but I just kind of feel – I just get the feeling, Dave, that they're going to play well on this one. So I'll take Washington State. Cool. All right. So next up, uh, we have our number six team. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> and uh, they're on the road taking on our number 11 team. UCLA Bruins. <laughs> All right, so this is a 6.30 p.m. kick on the Pac-12 Network, ASU, at UCLA. Um, so this is the other line that makes uh, very little sense to me. Uh, UCLA opened minus one, and it's now a pick Um UCLA might very well be without Josh Rosen in this game. Um, they might be without Devon Modster. It might be Matt Lynch starting this game for the Bruins. Um, like I, I, I don't know how likely that is. Josh Rosen's out with concussion. Um so he might be back this week, but it's hard to say. Those things always can kind of go a little bit awry. Um, so UCLA's quarterback situation, very much uncertain. And the, this UCLA offense is the only functional part of this team. Um, so without that, and with this UCLA defense taking the field against an Arizona State rush attack that went for 381 yards uh, just this week, I, I, I just don't understand this. Like Arizona State should be like, I get the whole road factor. I get that these two teams are different playing at home versus on the road, uh, but it should be ASU minus four. Like that would be a comfortable line where I'd be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But uh, pick them for this one. I think it's it's just so obvious uh, to pick ASU here. Uh, UCLA would have to do something drastically, fundamentally different, I think, to win this game. Um, and that's not saying they couldn't do it. That's not saying Josh Rosen couldn't come back and light up the scoreboard and the defense uh, figures out a way to stop a team that has two dimensions to its offense. Um, but we just haven't seen that this year. Manny Wilkins is playing really well for Arizona State right now. Uh, their rushing attack just had its best game of the season, best game in years. Um, I think they're playing with a lot of confidence. I think they have more to play for. I think UCLA is uh, very much against Utah. Looked like they were playing out the string. I wouldn't. Ma- I wouldn't be surprised if. You know, these next three games do not go well for UCLA because they don't look like a team that's particularly uh, well-coached, well-motivated, any of that stuff. So give me ASU to win. Um, I think it could get ugly. Yeah, Pickham is weird in this one. You look at Arizona State's last uh, four, you know, beating Washington, beating Utah on the road, uh, getting thumped by USC, but then come back and beating Colorado. I just I don't I don't think you're going to go into the Rose Bowl and have it be this kind of crazy environment that's going to screw Arizona State up or anything. It just seems like Arizona State should be favored by a field goal or so in this one, and they're not. Um, I do think they're going to to win this one. Kind of get the feeling it'll be a little closer, but maybe a touchdown or so. But as a pick 'em, yeah, I got to take. Uh, 
I got to take ASU all day in this one. So that, they've all been, besides this pick um home dogs, right? So Stanford, dog at home, Colorado, dog at home, Utah, dog at home, and UCLA pick them, which but they probably should be a dog at home. I think it'll move. Uh, unless there's an announcement that Josh Rosen is available, it'll be a dog by the time the game comes around. Okay. Um, and this one, I don't feel it's going to be a home dog. I don't know what the line is yet, but <laughs> we're going to go. It's our number 12 team. Oregon State Beavers. In the desert, Tucson, Arizona, to take on, uh, oh, our number four team. Oop. Arizona Wildcats. Wow. All right, so this is a 7 p.m. kick on ESPN2. Oregon State at number 22, Arizona. Uh, Arizona's favored by 23. I am taking Arizona. Um, Khalil Tate, I mean, look, Oregon State, you've been playing better of late. Uh, Khalil Tate might... I mean, he might run for 350 yards on you. Like, he might. That might happen. And I, I mean, Patrick Laird just, just threw up 200 on you. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this isn't going to be pretty. Uh, I think this is one game where Arizona's rushing attack gets back to, like, non-conference levels or, like, early conference levels where it rushes for over 500 yards. Um, I think this is that kind of game for the Wildcats. Um Oregon State's looked better uh, over the last three games. It's just this isn't the type of game to win. Um, I just Arizona's been too tough. I think they're going to be um, fired up after that last game against USC. I think they're going to want to get you know back on the on the winning track. I like Arizona to win this by like five touchdowns. I think they're going to blow them out. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Beavs. I got <laughs> to take the Wildcats too. I thought you uh, you know I, I rolled with you last week. Thought you could cover. Uh, you did not. It, this does not seem like a great situation. Um, there was some momentum, obviously, with the coaching change and all that stuff. It seems to have gone away. This is another road game, and you're going to play a really upset Khalil Tate because he did get stymied for a while there and then got things rolling. I kind of think he continues what he was doing in the fourth quarter through this Beaver defense. Um, I think it could get ugly, Dave. Uh, it's a, 23 points is a lot. But I just feel like this is going to be one of those ones where Arizona kind of does whatever it wants, and it's just going to be tough for Oregon State to get rolling. I mean, maybe like a Thomas Tyner uh, has a big game or something. You know, I love I love watching Ryan Nall. It's not like Arizona's rush defense is all that good. That that's the thing that would worry me is that Oregon State can run it enough and slows the game down, and it would be hard to to cover that many points. But I just feel there's going to be so many explosive plays on the Arizona side. It'll be demoralizing for the Beavers. Yeah, I, I, I fully agree. And uh, hopefully Oregon State can pull out at least one win here towards the end. To, so Corey Hall has something to show for the fact that he has obviously improved his team. Yeah, because it's like at Arizona, obviously we don't think that's going to happen. Arizona State at home. I think that could happen. Like that's the one I would have majorly circled if I'm Oregon State as a winnable game. And that's no offense to ASU. I just think at home, Oregon State's been a different team. ASU is not like one of the top four teams in the Pac-12. Like I, I could see that being a win for Oregon State. But if we, you know, if Arizona State wins again, they're going to be like one four of five going into that one. I don't know. I mean, that's going to be tough. Yeah, it and, is tough. And then on the road at Oregon, that's also a winnable game. But it depends on if Justin Herbert is back or not. If yeah. he's not, then that's a for sure winnable game. I'm just betting that by that point he will actually be back. Yeah. All right, well, that's our. We did our week 10 recap and our week 11 preview. I think we're going to get to some questions now. All right, you want me to read Anthony's first? Sure. 
Let me find All it. All right. Here. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Rate from most dumb decision to least dumb. USC not starting Sam Darnold week one last year. Arizona not starting Khalil Tate week one this year. UCLA hiring Kennedy Palomalu as its offensive coordinator last year. Continuing to have Larry Scott as Pac-12 commissioner. Mm. Least dumb's got to be Tate because we've heard stuff that he was hurt, right? Yeah, I'd probably have that least. I would probably put Larry Scott as the second least, even though that is pretty dumb. I think I, it's second least. That one might be my worst. That might be the. Well, see, USC <laughs> not starting Sam Darnold week one last year is like, as I said many times last year, should have been a fireable offense. Okay. Okay. That's fair. Um, like that. And it, it's not as if that came out of nowhere. Every single one of you people who was at USC practice was talking about the fact that Sam Darnold looked better than Max Brown, like <laughs> fundamentally the entire time. And so either Clay Helton made a very cynical decision to start Max Brown to keep him in the program as a backup because there wasn't another credible backup, um, or he just doesn't know how to evaluate his own players. Either way, very dumb. Yeah. Um, and then UCLA hiring Kennedy Palomalo as its offensive coordinator last year may have doomed Jim Mora at UCLA. Like that might be the single decision that we all point to as, oh, okay, that's the point at which it was just no longer tenable for Jim Mora to stay at UCLA. Um, so I would have those two neck and neck for the top one. I'd probably say Sam Darnold is um, the number one dumbest simply because UCLA, uh, USC probably has another win. Like that Utah game, if Darnold had a little bit more experience under his belt heading into it, they may, they might win that one. And then suddenly you're talking about a potential playoff USC team instead of uh, a Rose Bowl winner. Yeah. Um, so I'd say USC, UCLA, Larry Scott, and then Tate in my order. And Larry Scott, though, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah, it's dumb. I just I, I can't get excited about Pac-12 revenues. Okay. I know, I know. I just can't get excited right. about it. And then we have another question here too. Okay, man, we have a lot of questions. Okay, we'll do our. How would you rate these sports in order? Like rate beach volleyball, what? tennis, gymnastics, hockey, alpine skiing. So like rate like watchability, I guess. Yeah, we do it like like to play. I play beach volleyball, so I like that the most. Let's go watchability because I've never been alpine skiing, but I can like. Okay. I mean, alpine skiing, are we talking like, what is that? Is that like slaloming? Is that just all that stuff? Is that all count as alpine? Sure. That's, the, yeah, I don't know. I mean, alpine just means of the Alps, correct? <laughs> but they're not all in the Alps, but I think that's. Yeah. I mean, is that's where only something you can I do think. in the Alps? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, all right. So, how would I rate these in order? I don't like watching hockey. Really? I, that might be my number one. Uh, well, I guess if it's go, TV. Uh, like, I like it on person, so uh, there, it depends, you know? On TV, it's it's mostly unwatchable for me. In okay. person, yeah, it's it's pretty good. Should so. we say, so this is TV watching we'll do? I like watching tennis. I think okay. it's fun to watch. Tennis, I like. Tennis and hockey would be my, but yeah, like hockey, way better in person. So if we're talking about TV, I'd put tennis one. Some gymnastics is fun, like some Olympic level gymnastics, like, you know, people doing crazy stuff and some vaulting and that kind of stuff. That's kind of fun. I don't like it with the judging because like. Yeah, I, I hate that. I hate that sucks, as, like so a re- as a red blooded American. I hate that. That makes gymnastics unwatchable for me. Yeah. Um, Plus those like 14 year old girls that have like muscles on muscles just are scary a little bit. So, yeah, I, I get that, too. I get that, too. Um <laughs> 
right, so I'd go. All right, so here's my order. Okay. My order is uh, tennis, <sighs> hockey, gymnastics, alpine skiing, and then beach volleyball. Okay, I'll go tennis, hockey. I'm gonna like I do like the in person, and I'll, I'll put beach volleyball, alpine skiing, and then gymnastics. Beach volleyball because right. I play, so I like I don't mind watching that. I don't I don't like follow who everybody is, but like you know, I play in Hermosa, and there's like they that's where the pros practice, so like I'm around it all the time. Um, I kind of skiing. I just never really got it. I like the crashing and stuff, but I don't I don't ski, so I don't really you know care that much about it. Sure, that makes sense. All right. Uh, Erlen West LA said the November to LA Times reported. Oh, I'm sorry. The November. Okay. I guess November 2nd, LA Times reported Larry Scott acknowledged during a meeting with the Times editors and reporters earlier this week that the format uh, calling for a quick turnaround involving back to back road games was not ideal. There's an ongoing discussion we're having with our athletic director, Scott said, and they would like us to try to avoid that going forward. Scott said the elimination of the Friday night road game following Saturday road game could come as early as next season, uh, though that probably serves as little con- cons- uh, consolation for the Trojans and the Bruins. So is this really going to stop happening next year? What are your thoughts? Earl and West LA. And so just so people know, uh, the last six times a Pac-12 team had played a road game followed by a Friday road game, those teams are 0-6, including a bunch that were favorites in that game. Yeah. I, um, I, my feeling on Larry Scott is he de- generally wouldn't say something like this unless he had actual actually a plan to do it. He's kind of careful about those sorts of things. Um, but then again, he has also promised better officiating at various points. So, you know, maybe he's not as careful as they think. But I, I, I would imagine there has to be a plan going forward if he would have committed to something like this on the record. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, that, I mean, they got to eliminate those. I mean, I think Wilner has their ear more than just about anyone when he's harping on something like that. Um, he harped on their officials, too. I don't know if it's going to happen there. But, uh, yeah, thanks, Earl, for that yeah. one. All right, we got one from Michael. Uh, what happened to Jim Mora? Uh, when he arrived at UCLA, he was a breath of fresh air. This is like a poem. This is nice. Uh, he took over a program that was a mess and immediately everything looked different. UCLA started winning, looked like a good football team. And suddenly he was the hot coach. He was mentioned for every open coaching position. After three good years, things started downhill. UCLA looked bad and was losing in ugly fashion. What happened? Did he forget how to coach? Was the early success an illusion? Was it all because of a few extremely talented players like Brett Hundley and Miles Jack? Was it bad decisions about hiring assistants, bad recruiting decisions? Did he lose motivation to win? Did his divorce take away his passion? How does someone go from being a good coach to a bad one in a year or two? Thanks for the enjoyable podcast. It is an important part of my week. So there are like 15 questions here, but they're all basically uh, the same thing. Why did UCLA start sucking? Um... Well, uh, <laughs> so if I'm categorizing the Jim Mora era right now, I would say there were two very, very good years, followed by a year where they probably underachieved a little in 2014 in Brett Hundley's final year, where they still went like 10 and 3, but it felt like kind of an underachieving 10 and 3. And then they've had three uh, regressively uh, bad seasons. Um, Josh Rosen's freshman year, they went 8 and 5. Last year, they went 4 and 8. And this year, it looks like they could very well go four and eight again, potentially five and seven. Uh, so what happened? Um, I, I think so. I, I think Jim Mora had a plan 
I think he came in early and he, um, I, I think he hired a great staff uh, for turning around a program. They were great recruiting staff. Um, and I think they did a nice job of utilizing the talent in the program. And as they have replaced those players with their own players, I think they've made worse and worse decisions with how to use them. Um, I think they've made some truly heinous scheme decisions, um, particularly on offense, where they went away from Noel Mazzoni, uh, which I actually supported at the time because I thought Mazzoni had gotten a little stale at UCLA. Um, certainly wasn't recruiting anymore. And um, having Taylor Mazzoni, his son, as the quarterback's coach was not a winning uh, decision, but then uh, they hired an offensive coordinator who had basically zero experience coordinating offense. They elected to change from a spread offense to a pro style offense in one fell swoop, one off season, without really recruiting for a pro style offense um, heading into that. So they had a bunch of linemen who were spread linemen, you know, who are longer, athletic, um, but not necessarily the big bulky types. If you want to be a man blocking downhill type offense, um, and that made last season a struggle fest. Um, but it was happening before that. I think there was um, there have been some off-season issues for years now. Um, I think it's kind of started that season before the 2014 campaign, I think, when there was the the P. Diddy kettlebell incident. Um, there, there's just been some stuff um, like that going on, some kind of questionable hires at different levels. Um, and they just, I mean, fundamentally, they just haven't replaced, um, you know, I think two of the critical guys from that early, se- early uh, those early defenses, uh, Lou Spanos, uh, defensive coordinator, who I think was uh, really underrated for what he brought to the table, and Jeff Ulbrich, um, who was a very good special teams coordinator and also a very good linebackers coach. Um, Ulbrich got promoted to defensive coordinator and suddenly uh, didn't look very good. Um, but that was uh, basically UCLA in the Jim Mora era lost two very good position coaches to promotion. Uh, they lost Kennedy Palomalu, who was one of the best running backs coaches I've ever seen, and Jeff Ulbrich, who was a great special teams coordinator and a great linebackers coach and a not good at all defensive coordinator. Um, and they promoted both of those guys from within, and it just didn't work out. Um, so I think I mean it's I'm kind of rambling here just because it's it's a multifaceted issue. It's yes. not like there was ever one thing that caused this. I think there's a lot of things and. You know, I, I don't want to get into, like, how motivated Jim Mora is. I don't know. But it's just I, – I, I like to focus on decisions. And decision-wise, I think the, the decisions they've made with personnel in terms of putting guys in positions to succeed, the decisions they've made from a scheme perspective, the decisions they've made to hire certain assistants, I just think have not been as strong over the last three or four years as they were before. For me, just uh, – I'll kind of simplify things. Like, I think a lot of times I, – I think defensive cord, uh, defensive-minded head coaches can work – but sometimes they just seem to like treat the offense as a necessary evil as opposed to something that really needs to shine. And I think you saw that with Jeff Fisher and the Rams. Um, you know, you get an offensive young coach coming in there and they switch the, the whole team turns around, you know, and the, the number one pick who looked terrible now looks really good. Um, yep. you know, and what I, I don't like hiring, if you're a defensive minded head coach, you can't hire. An offensive coordinator that's never been an offensive coordinator before. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Just like when, you know, with USC, you have a, a young head coach who's never been a head coach before. Don't hire an inexperienced offensive coordinator. You know, you need to bring in someone with experience. I like what Justin Wilcox did. Um, I didn't like what, what Jim Mora was doing. And it just seems like now you got this rotation thing going on and it's hard for you. You have this generational talent that's got different coordinators every year and just you're not, you're not using your talent to the, the best of your ability. So I think sometimes it's just, for whatever reason, defensive-minded coaches don't want to just go out and pick the 
the best offensive mind out there and say, you run it, you go with it, and I'll just live whatever you do. Sometimes they just want to control that a little bit and like, well, I'd rather if you were doing – and it just it, – to me, it's like you're on the defensive side. Stick there and let some guy run the offense. That, that's my take. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. And that's why, like, I generally support hiring offensive coaches actually as the uh, head coach because there's more variation in what you can do offensively at the college level than there is on defense. Or at least there is, like, in the realm of, of what actually happens, like – Defenses are what they are. I mean, you've got the like kind of hyper aggressive nickelish type defenses, like what Arizona runs. That's like sort of a four two five three three five, and then you've got like the standard four threes and three fours. But they're, I mean, they're all doing basically the same stuff. Offensively, there's a lot more variation. And if you get some guy who's really outside the box scheme wise, I mean, you can catch lightning in a bottle. Um, and that's what happened with Oregon with Chip Kelly. Um, it, it's what happened with Baylor. I mean, I, I don't want to use them as a shining example by any means, but it's what happened with them with Art Bryles. Um, when you have that, it's what happened with Urban Meyer, right? Basically every stop he's ever been at, he's an offensive minded coach and he, uh, creates good, um, uh, really interesting schemes basically everywhere he goes. So, um, I generally support that at the college level. I think at the NFL level, you can get away more with having a very defense first head coach, but I just don't. I just don't see it as much at the uh, at the college level, unless you have supreme talent advantage, like even Al- like Alabama does. But even Alabama has tried to get a little bit more diverse offensive scheme wise. So I, I just think that's the changing nature of the game. Uh, you you want to prioritize offense more yeah. than a lot of teams do. The, the, like the USC heyday stuff when they were the best, it was Pete Carroll running the offense and Norm Chow running the. the I mean, Pete Carroll running the defense, Norm Chow running the offense. When Pete tried to put his young guys in there, Sark and Lane, and do, then they didn't win any more championships after that. Like he was meddling yep. on the offensive side. So whatever reason they like to meddle, just like dude, hire someone that's good and let them go. Exactly. Uh, we got one from Van. He said, "Hey guys, love the podcast. Went to the live show last year and loved it. No, you can move, Dave. But any chance we could get another live show in the future? Huh? Maybe it's some kind of maybe a, event or something like." I was out here. I was out for Labor Day. We probably could have made one work, but. I think it's more fun to maybe if I come out for like a Thanksgiving, we can do another one of those USC UCLA live shows. That was fun. Yeah, that'd be good. We could do that. Yeah. He said, anyway, going to Vegas this weekend as part of an annual college football betting trip. In years past, your advice has been golden. Although this year, it seems like every game in the Pac-12 is a coin toss. Wondering if you could pick one game to bet on, what would it be? Rather than use the, the verbalism of uh, lock of the week, I stick to Ryan's reference a couple weeks ago in which... A uh, team you would think would quote slurp up them points. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Thanks again, <laughs> slurp. Thanks again for the great podcast. Uh, All right. Man. So whose points would whose moist points would we slurp up? Um, uh, I think the I, I think like the Washington, Washington might Stanford be the game. most obvious. Yeah, the Washington Stanford game a lot, but I I mean maybe ASU too. No. Yeah, point. I would say those those are those are my two. Which means that both of those teams, so it means like Stanford's <laughs> going to win outright, and uh, UCLA is going to blow ASU out by four touchdowns. So yeah. don't take anything we say ever. Yeah. This is this is this is this is a bad betting advice podcast. <laughs> Although Dave's good right now, Dave's been much better. I had uh, luck. I think one, two, three, like seven weeks out. in a row, like not having a losing record. So this this week definitely set me back. Yep. Uh, this is from Brent. Pac-12 refs, seriously. The USC game could have been two hours shorter if the referees didn't have to huddle after every play, or I mean penalty. During bowl season, do these amateurs referee bowl games that don't include Pac-12 teams? I think they do, they, don't they? 
Well, like the they send their best. I don't think this was a group that would be sent out. The one that no, no, but they do. And I, it's it's funny when you watch those teams. Like you see, like a, a Big Ten team that's used to two or three penalties per game, and they're playing in like some bowl, and then they get ten flags. And you're like, what's going on here? Yeah, um, yeah. There people have done a lot of the the numbers on that where they show you know Pac-12 crews. I think for like. Oregon, I think, is worst or second worst in the country in flags, and USC is like fourth worst. Usually, there's a lot of US, a lot of uh, Pac-12 teams in the top ten or top fifteen in most penalties, and yeah, I think it reflects in the bowl games too. Yeah. Hey, you want me to read Nick's rundown? Sure. Yeah, you do next. All right. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. UCLA 17 versus Utah 48. Utah beat the living dog crap out of a Josh Rosenless Bruin team. Stanford 21 versus Washington State 24. Close game won by the Cougars. Got to give love to Mike Leach and his staff. They held Bryce Love in check. Garbage 23. He put OSU in parentheses. <laughs> so They're back to I, garbage again. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I, guess, I guess he's calling them garbage again. Versus Cal 37. Great running attack by Cal to beat the worst team in the conference. I still think Cal wins a game and goes bowling in December. Garbage will go 1-11, 0-9 in conference. Colorado 30 versus ASU 41. Colorado blew an early game lead only to give it to a military-style uniform of ASU. I like the uniforms. FYI, go Army from me. ASU will go bowling, does Colorado. Uh, Oregon 3, ver- does Colorado? What do we think? I kind of think so. Let's, well, let's, look at the schedule here before we say. Let's it. just pull up this sucker. Let's not talk out of our bums. Uh, so Colorado has USC at home and then at Utah. So oh, maybe they got to win both one. Don't they're think five they're f- winning this week, right? I don't think they're going to beat USC. They get a bye week before Utah. They do get a bye before Utah. The late crazy bye week, but uh, I'm going to have a hard time picking them in that game. Yeah. I, I don't so know. So maybe, maybe, maybe. I yeah. think there's a chance, but it's not easy. Uh, Oregon 3 versus UW 38. Dante Pettit, Pettis breaks all-time special teams, returns TD with 9 just a few days after his dad's Astros beat the Dodgers, LOL. Oregon used to have a long winning streak over UW, and well, times have changed in the Great Northwest. U of A 35 versus USC 49. This is a great game to crown the de facto Pac-12 South title. KT is the real deal after not having a great first half to have a great third quarter, then lose the game in the fourth. Rojo 2 was a beast. USC won. I'm calling it now. USC beats UW in the Pac-12 title game to win their first title since 08. Fight on. Questions. Call it now. Who wins the Pac-12 title game? USC versus UW. Um, first of all, I love... The Josh Rosenless. I like that. That's the kind of neat little term that, that he put good. in there. Um, I'm going to, I would, right now I'd pick USC. Um, I just think they match up better against, it's just, I mean, Browning to me, when you're playing more athletic defenses, it's just not as good. And he's just, he's been so pedestrian in these games that they're winning, but I, I just think USC would match up well, though. But what do you think? Yeah, for me, it's, um, yeah. It would depend on Browning, like right. If if, if he can play like semi competently, I think it's UW. But I just have no confidence he can against a good athletic defense because um, he's been he's been somewhat not great against like not good athletic defenses this year. Um, so 
I think I'd pick USC right now. Um, I think UW would do a really nice job against that offense. Um, if they yeah. can create a couple of turnovers, I think they could win it. Um, but I just don't have much confidence in Browning against a, a, a very fast defense. And, so you know, that would be. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think, I mean, Washington, very talented team. I mean, you'd definitely argue that we have them number one in our, in our rankings. But the fact that they just haven't really, I mean, the one test they had was that on the road against Arizona State, and they've just failed miserably. USC's at least been in all these dogfights and playing all these tough teams. Like they've they've gone, you know, they've looked like crap against bad teams and won. They've they've done, you know, they've done all these things. And I just it just seems like everything's rolling on schedule for Washington except that one game, and they didn't win that one, you know. So I, I just don't think it would go according to plan where you could have Browning throw 15 passes for 120 yards and still win. Like you're not going to be able to do that against USC. So um, they could do it. We just haven't seen them really have to do it all year. It's just always everything just is kind of working. They're a more talented team. They're a better coach team, and they they win these games. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. Um, all right, his next question is: Is OSU the worst team in the conference since the inception of the Pac-12? Who? Uh, last year, Arizona was really bad. Um, Oregon State two years ago was. Actually, I think it was Oregon State two years ago. Because okay, so, they went 0-9 in conference, 2-10 and 10 overall, and their point differential was god-awful. <laughs> like, they were 100, they, they scored 168 point, 160 points all year and gave up 381. Uh, this year, they have scored 110 and have given up 220. So, um, I think it's the, the, the Oregon State team from, from uh, 2015. Yeah, they beat Weber State, and they beat... Uh, San Jose State, um, and lost everybody else. And I oh wow, I, I, actually, uh, Cal, Cal in 2013 was terabad. <laughs> uh, they 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 went uh, one and eleven, zero uh, and nine in conference, 175 points for 425 allowed. Whoa, that's that's terrible. That is so bad. All right, so Cal Cal twenty thirteen is our winner. There there, about, there can be no other contenders. What was Washington's zero and twelve season? Oh my God! There have been so many bad teams in this conference. <laughs> Colorado in twenty twelve. So they went one and eleven. Somehow they won a game in conference. One hundred and fifty five points and allowed four hundred and thirty one. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> so so no, I don't think Oregon State's the worst. No, so it's 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 Colorado 2012, uh, Cal 2013, Oregon State in 2015, and Oregon State this year are the contenders. But I think this year's Oregon State team might be like the best of those four teams. What, so what year did Washington – that was before the Pac-12, right? Was that was that? before the Pac-12. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. Pretty good one. Incredible. Uh, for, the, for the record, that uh, 2008 Washington team that did go 0-12 – uh, scored a total in 12 games of 111 points. <laughs> that's that's one more than uh, than 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 uh, Oregon State has right now with, through nine games. Is that uh, Tyrone Willingham? Uh, 2008 was, I think so. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. All right, and then uh, last, how special is Dante Pettis? I'd say very special. Very, very, very special. 
Um, all right, Alex in New York City. Hello, Dave, who deserves 280 characters on Twitter, and Ryan, whom I'm running out of ways to say, I like you despite being associated with the blight on this planet known as USC. He spelled USC, well, it was all lowercase letters, but he did say USC, so that's that's nice. Uh, thanks, that's Alex. Nice. Originally, I had no question for this week because there's little left to be said about the UCLA program this season, but I figured I'd once again give Dave David a break from the shit fest and get Ryan's opinion. Ryan. What do you think about UCLA? He put UCLA in all lowercase too. Uh, Weird. UC- <laughs> so there's they that. don't deserve capital letters at this point. Uh, so I'm sorry. So what do you think about UCLA fans raising money to fly a banner plane, asking for uh, DG and Mora to go, and how does it compare to the uh, hashtag Empty Nealon movement going on at Tennessee in terms of effective versus embarrassing? Also, Ryan, uh, what would you hosting a oh what would you hosting a ucla emergency podcast even sound like and what point uh you have caught your first called one i'm sorry and at what point would you have first called one That's at what point would you have first had one oh. at what point would you have first recorded one uh, for a ucla one yeah um hmm let me see let me look at the schedule when would i have done the emergency uh maybe in hawaii maybe the memphis game I mean, it was close. Memphis is pretty good. Memphis game would have been what you would have done if it was like a contender. Like if it was like a yeah. team that you thought had a chance of actually contending this year. But, but they, like, but that, that I don't think anybody coming into the season thought so. But they were 2-0 at that point. They beat A&M. Crazy game. So probably Arizona because that was kind of like the, you know, near the beginning of Khalil Tate's like dominance, right? Right. Um, so probably that one. Uh, he said, finally, screw you, Arizona. You couldn't let me have the joy in David doing a trolling emergency podcast appearance for USC fans. You're dead to me. <laughs> um, yeah. very close, though. I would, no, I would definitely come on the broadcast if David wants me, and I would love to have David on like an emergency podcast. Like they, We would have fun doing those, I think. Uh, I don't know if you guys would all like it, but um, <laughs> I think it would we be would, fun. We would lose subscribers both ways, but it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. As far as the uh, the raising money to fly the banner, um, I mean, I just think you can put the money. I I don't know if it's embarrassing. I think the empty kneeling stuff. Like I'm I'm with it with my wife every day. Like she's, I mean, they they think John Gruden's going to come there. Like it's just bad. Like when you let a guy just dangle, like they're letting Butcher Jones dangle. It's bad. It's going to be embarrassing. And they just they just do stupid stuff and say stupid things. And you know, you got Lane Triffitt, Lane Triffitt, Lane Kiffin trolling you. On Twitter, I mean, it's just it's like a shit show all around. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't think it's as embarrassing with this, you know, flying a banner. But I think you could put that money towards buying a contract and and going in another direction. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know what you think, Dave. Uh, I do whatever you want. I mean, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think it makes or breaks the decision making. Um, I think. You know, fans have so few avenues to like voice their displeasure aside from just not going to games. Um, and I don't know, like, you know, if if they feel strongly about something, I'm not I'm not one to tell people how to spend their. I don't even think it's that much. Like I was looking at that GoFundMe, it's like five thousand bucks, and they're gonna you know fly some airplane banners with it. That's that seems wild. I didn't. I, I, like that's one of those things. When I was a kid, I'd be like, oh yeah, that probably cost four hundred thousand dollars. Um, but no, it's nothing. I mean, it's, you, you raise that money from like 10 different people and they're in or like a hundred different people. There was one guy who I think donated 4,500 bucks to it. It's crazy. Wow. When, uh, um, so d- real quick, the, uh, so the airplane banner thing is funny because 
shortly after, so before 9-11, it wasn't that hard to do. And after 9-11, like, uh, if you want to fly them around, there's laws and stuff with the stadiums and, and stuff, I believe they change it. But in 2002, I, I came up with the idea to fly one and uh, just to promote uscfootball.com. And so I put, like, I think it was like uh, Carson for Heisman and then uscfootball.com. So it was like Carson Palmer making a run. And I flew it around. I could fly it around the stadium like a couple hours before kickoff and stuff. And uh, people are like, oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Guess how much it cost back then? So 2002. How much? $250. Wow. $250. Like that was like the best money I've ever spent. Like that was nothing. It was That's insane. Crazy. People asked, someone asked me that like recently because they were like, I think Utah, like uh, for the USC Utah game, like there was a, it was a specialized banner. So I'm sure that would cost more. You had to come up with a banner yourself, but like they flew around like a Utah banner around campus, like before the game. And someone asked me like, how much did that cost? I'm like, dude, back in the day, it was like nothing. It was like 250 bucks. So I think that got you like an hour and a half or two hours and you had X amount of letters. Like it was just basically block letters they would put on the back of the plane and they would fly it around. Wow. Nuts. Crazy. Huh? Crazy. Yeah. Um, all right. We got one from Austin from SLC. Pac-12 Coach Wrestling Tournament. Hey, Ryan and Dave. First off, I want to thank Dave's Twitter account for being the only entertaining thing about the entire first quarter of the Utah-UCLA game. If it weren't for Dave's tweets, I probably would have died of boredom and old age from that timeout where they occasionally took breaks to play football. You could even call it football. The rest of the game was pretty sweet, though, at least for me and my quote-unquote disease support group known as the MUS, the mighty Utah student section. <laughs> Hopefully Dave's doing okay. As I was sitting in class on Monday, I had a completely random question cross my mind that I wanted to ask you guys. Imagine that the WWE, for some ridiculous reason, decided to have a wrestling tournament with all of the Pac-12 coaches as the wrestlers. What would be each coach's wrestling name? What matches, matchups would you want to see? And who do you think would win the tournament? I'm not a fan of wrestling, but the thought of Kyle Whittingham diving off the top rope and giving the elbow to Chris Peterson just sounds exciting. And of course, Mike Leach being Mike Leach, just his press conferences are basically worth pay-per-view already. Anyway, thanks for entertaining entertaining my random thought. Thanks for doing what you guys do. You guys are awesome. Go Utes. This, I feel like so, all right, we so have to give us time. Like I don't, we, not, we can't do this justice yeah. here, I think. you know, This was something we'd have to like think about and like... It could be really so let's, good. Let's simplify things. And okay. I don't know if we've done this one before. I, I have to feel that we have because this is one of my favorite topics to talk about, um, which is the who would win in a fight game. Yeah. Right? And have we done this one on this show? I kind of feel we, we've we had something like that before. Um, my go-to is always Kyle you know, Whittingham. Yeah, Kyle Whittingham, right? Yeah. He wins. Like I, I feel like Kyle Whittingham wins pretty much hands down. Um, if you watch him on the sidelines, he looks like, you know, he, he does some working out. There have been quotes from, like, players on his team who are like, yeah, he works out harder than we do. Um, so he, he'd probably win pretty much any fight. I think we said David Shaw looks like a guy who could tussle a little bit. But, you know, and I, I'm not one to criticize somebody for a little bit of weight gain, but he's gained a little bit of weight. I'm not, I'm not sure if he's necessarily uh, swinging blows the way he would have, say, two years ago. Um, who else? So, so we have to else? like, so like Whittingham would kind of be like the. See, I, I know more of the '80s guys. Like, I don't know a lot of the, but like, he's kind of like the Hulk Hogan guy, right? He's like the main yeah, yeah. dude. Or who's the guy now? Like, is he the Rock or someone like? Maybe he's the Rock. I don't think the Rock wrestles anymore. I don't watch uh, any 
professional wrestling. Um, he strikes me as more of like a Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay, type. that's good. I like that. That's good. You know, kind of understated, but bringing bringing the wood a little bit. Um, I think. Uh, I mean, just from a fighting perspective, I think um, I think Justin Wilcox is a new contender here. I think he would. You know, he's relatively young. Um, you know, I think he could he could he could he could swing 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 his swing his fist at some people. Yeah. Uh, w- Willie Taggart is a new addition. Um, we got to work him into the rankings somewhere. So maybe this all requires an update, but we need to think about this. Maybe we add it as uh, one of the segments for the off season. Or, or you know, I would love if people send us their ideas too of like who, which like I think Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin's good for Kyle Whittingham. Like send us in who you think, especially if it's a coach. I mean, if it's your team. Which uh, which professional wrestler would your coach be? Uh, like Corey Hall, like I have no idea. Like we'd have to, you know, I'd have yeah. to get in the ring with him and spar a couple rounds or something. But like a Jim Mora, I think he would be up there as far as like fightability and stuff. You know, defensive minded coaches, you, you got to, you know, on their side. Well, but. Jim Mora's got a little bit of crazy to him too. He does. Like you could see him being like a total heel and like going crazy in the interviews or whatever. Yeah. Right. I think he'd be like one of those underrated like. He, you know, he might turn out to be like one of the better WWE coaches, um, you know, just because he, he has that crazy to him that he can bring out at a moment's notice. And like so. like a Mike Leach might be like a Bobby the Brain Heaton. Like he wasn't like, the you know, the most physically. Yeah, he, he, he might even be like a Jerry Lawler, right? Oh, yeah. Like he, he might be the announcer who uh, started out in the ring and then moved to the announcer booth um, to just because, you know, he can ramble. Um, that would be good, but yeah. So send us in your suggestions, maybe, and uh, maybe we'll try to think of some. I'm not guaranteeing that we will, but um, we rarely think of anything. <laughs> but great. those are really good. But it's hard. It would be hard for me to pick anybody except Whittingham. You know. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, all right, uh, we got Scott. Thanks for that question. Uh, let's see. He said, "General thoughts: twenty five percent of the conference cannot compete." I'm sorry. 25% of conference cannot complete a forward pass. Oregon with 31 yards against UW, Stanford, who has two quarterbacks who can't, and Oregon State. Uh, as I predicted back in August, if USC doesn't have the South locked up, which they essentially do, by the beginning of November, something went seriously wrong, and it didn't. They now get a month to start game prepping uh, for, it, uh, for it now, should they choose. Additionally, no team should get a bye week before it, uh, like they will, but no team... Should have to play 12 straight weeks without a buy either. Hashtag Pac-12 scheduling at its best. It's the North. Uh, in the North, it's UW to, UW's to lose. This Friday will determine if Stanford can still win it or not. In the event Stanford, UW, or Washington State each have two conference losses, any idea who wins the tiebreaker? You know about depends that? On, depends on which ones they lose to, I think. Yeah. Um, well, we can start getting into some of the tiebreakers uh, with like two games to go for everybody, yeah. but with three games to go, there's still a little bit too much variation. Yeah. He said, for my question, David's thrown out that he's not the biggest Rick Neuheisel fan, and I was wondering if he would expand on why. When he was up here... Gladly! <laughs> when he was up here at Washington, his game week and in-game coaching was very... Uh, he said it was pretty good. Additionally, the players played hard for him. His roster management... From a recruiting standpoint, though, was awful, and that was in all caps. We have a famous uh, seven wide receiver and two offensive lineman class that was legendary back in the day. He also believed in his heart. He was in on many more national guys than he ended up getting and didn't seem to have a lot of plan B guys when his original plan fell through. If selling a fan base on what they wanted to hear was a sport, Rick would have as many national championships 
as Nick Saban, but eventually that song got old when the on-the-field results didn't match up with what uh, he was in Seattle. I'd love to hear more from David on his dealings with Rick and anything Ryan has as well. Thanks for the PO, uh, for the POD. Thanks for the pod. I enjoy it every week and appreciate the work you both put into it. Go dogs, Scott in Washington. All right, Scott. Um, that's a great question. Uh, why do I think that Rick Neuheisel is a uh, subpar football coach? Uh, look at what happened to both Colorado and Washington immediately upon his departure and over the course of his years there. Uh, Washington peaked in his second year and then pretty much nosedived after that, went eight and four his third year, seven and six his fourth year. And then after that, we all know how bad it got uh, for Washington soon thereafter. Colorado, uh, 10 and two his first year, 10 and two his second year, five and six his third year, eight and four his fourth year. And then again, Colorado kind of fell off the map pretty soon thereafter. Um, Gary Barnett era started up, went seven and five, three and eight. He rebounded for a 10 and three season. But that, I mean, Rick Neuheisel's era was the last time they won back-to-back 10 win, uh, uh, back-to-back uh, 10 games in a year. And uh, you know, I think he started to kind of set them up as a, as a beginning stages of their mediocrity. So that's the history. Uh, but my reference point for Rick Neuheisel is mainly uh, to do with his tenure at UCLA, um, where he somehow managed um, to perform worse than Carl Durrell who was um, a NFL wide receivers coach uh, before he came to UCLA, was, um, had no experience, and he somehow performed worse than him. Um, and Darrell was by no means very good. Uh, Neuheisel um, recruited pretty well at UCLA, um, but he made this absurd decision to go to a pistol offense entering his third season at UCLA. Uh, despite still having Norm Chow as his offensive coordinator, who's never run anything other than his pro-style scheme. Um, they went to a pistol, uh, and they didn't even run that well. Um, the stories we heard about Rick Neuheisel's program from the interior were all bad, um, that they rarely had practice plans um, in on time. Uh, you know, They'd be kind of fumbling together what they were going to do in practice like 10 minutes before practice started. Uh, just an overall lack of organization. Um commitment level he was i think he golfed like 200 days of the year um just it was a it was a joke of a program um and you know uh, new Isle complains a lot about the resources he was given and all this stuff but the fact of the matter is he had three losing seasons out of four at ucla and at the level at which he recruited that's absurd you just i mean that's that's just being a bad coach um and so yeah he had some relative success with other people's players at washington and colorado but once he put a stamp on those programs, they trended downward. Um, and I think he didn't have the benefit of great players when he started at UCLA. And so you never saw that beginning, you know, boost that he got at Colorado and Washington. But the end result was the same. You know, he, he tailed off badly because he's not a very good football coach. I, I mean, I'm yeah, I, I feel bad every time his name comes up on the podcast too. just venom starts coming out. Um, I've been on his radio show. I, I think he's a really nice guy and I think he's great as a, as an analyst. Um, but yeah, not the, not the greatest, uh, college football coach. Like for him to throw his, I didn't really like it when he was kind of throwing his hat in the ring for the Oregon state job, but I think he's an awesome analyst. He's, he's fun. I think he was great on the Pac-12 network. I wish they would have been able to keep him, but, uh, yeah, I kind of agree with Dave on all the coaching stuff. Yeah. He's found his niche. He's found his niche. He should stay in that niche. But I don't have the venom that Dave, that, uh, 
because he was. You know, I, there's he, no I, venom here. There's no <laughs> venom. I'm 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 calm, cool, and collected at all times. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, this is from John and Brea. Uh, GRE sample question. Hi Ryan and Dave. My son is taking the GRE, and I was leafing through his practice test when I came upon this question in the analogy section. I'm wondering if you can help him figure out the best answer. Seven. Pac-12 officials football. So it's Pac-12 officials is to football as uh, electricity is to a vacuum cleaner. All right, so that's that's establishing an essential relationship. Okay. Electricity is essential to running a vacuum cleaner. Uh, B, a pit is to an avocado. So we would say the unpleasant but necessary uh, aspect. So that's the relationship there. So okay. a pit, obviously inedible. Um, so it's not <laughs> it's not part of the function of what you're getting out of the avocado, but it is an essential piece of it. Um, it's not something you would necessarily want if you had your ideal world. Uh, see termites to an old house. So something that just comes with the old house, but is extremely regrettable that it's there and very unpleasant. Um, <laughs> and then D telemarketing is to dinner. So that's an unwelcome un- uh, interruption of uh, of a nightly meal. Um, it's between C and D for me. Yeah. Um, I kind of like D, but. See, because it's just been that way for so long, it's just like it, it's kind of inevitable. Like we talked about earlier, like what can be done. It's just that's we haven't known it any other way, you know. Like an old house, you know, like your hundred year old house didn't just get termites yesterday, you know. I mean, like by by the definition of the analogy, I would say the pit to the avocado is probably the most correct. But C or D feels like it captures the spirit of the analogy a little bit better. Yes. Um, so I'd probably go C, but I think B. If we're if we're talking pure. G-R-E-S-A-T here, I think B would probably be our answer. You know, it's the unpleasant but necessary part of the uh, of the thing we all enjoy, which is avocado. Yeah. Um, so, we yeah, should, uh, that was a great question. I loved every bit of that. We um, got to break out my test prep skills. It was great. <laughs> Can we invent a uh, pitless avocado? Like, what would happen there? Whew. Why are you giving that away to, uh, to our many millions of listeners? That would be awesome. Um you could, you know, I used to work in the produce department in high school, so you can uh, you can do stuff with avocado pits. Trust me, like food fights are good. Like they're hard. Like they they go all the way across the room. They're pretty good, you know. Yeah, grapes are good. Grapes are good for that too. They're like more readily available. Um, yeah. Okay, so we got Otis. Hey Ryan and David, what is worse, Sam turning the ball over more than 119 schools, or 119 schools doing a better job at stopping the run than UCLA's defense? <laughs> Uh, One of these teams is four and five, so that team. <laughs> I don't know if he's still. So Darnold's had one turnover the last two games. So he at one. So two games ago after Notre Dame is when he was worse than like a hundred and I think it was like okay. hundred and eight schools. I haven't checked now. Maybe he is worse. Maybe than hundred nineteen schools. But he's had one turnover. I think I think eighteen, which leads all college football people. Um, I don't know how many schools he leads. I'd have to look that up. Yeah, I don't think it's 119, and and UCLA's uh, Rundy is much worse than uh, that. There's definitely more than 119 schools doing a better job of stopping the run. So, um, I, I'm definitely going UCLA is worse. There, yeah, because um, well, it's a broader based problem, and turnovers happen. I mean, and you know, I, I I'm the one who tweeted that out, and it is like it's kind of an interesting stat, but quarterbacks for every team are the most likely players on the team to th- turn over the ball. Um, like uh, Darnold has 18. Josh Rosen has like, I don't know. He, he had like 13 at the same time or whatever. So it's like, it's not like it's, 
that absurd. It's not like it's several standard deviations over the mean. It's just, right. you know, it's kind of one of those interesting stats. And But UCLA's run defense is historically bad, like historically bad. So Because it, like, giving up more than 300 yards per game and, and actually didn't, didn't give up 300, but still the average is above 300, which that's, that's the historic part, right? Yep. Yeah. Insane. All right. This is from uh, Zach in NYC. What happened? Hey, Ryan and Dave, as I quietly hate watched Utah finish their curb stomping of UCLA at approximately 1.30 AM on Saturday morning in NYC, I had a strange realization. I didn't care that much anymore. Now, I cared against Texas A&M, Memphis, and Stanford, but since the Arizona game, I just couldn't make an emotional investment in a team that doesn't seem to care that much themselves. As fans, I know we are prone to irrational hyperbole and, and wild swings in emotion, but I don't think it's that much of a stretch to say that this UCLA team has packed it in. How did this happen? What was the tipping point? Was it the Washington State home loss during Rosen's freshman year, the first USC loss? Was it hiring KP to be the OC and breaking the offense for no reason? Whatever it was happened before Rosen's injury last year. What happened to the Jim Mora that had a physical, well-prepared team every week? How does everything turn on a coach so quickly? And can you think of a situation where a coach has been able to turn things around after it has flown off the rails? Lastly, do you think there is any hope left for Mora, or do we have a final prognosis and all we can do is sit here and wait for the inevitable? Um, So we already answered all the top parts, but I do want to address this, like kind of the last little bit here, because I didn't really go into that too much um, earlier. So do we know of a coach who um, has had things get this bad and then turn them around? And I, I can't think of one in the modern era. Like Mark D'Antonio had a bad season at Michigan State last year and is having a good one this year. But it was one bad season and it was kind of a, you know, a confluence of factors. Um, this program has trended downward for four years now um, from 2014, uh, 10 and three to eight and five to four and eight. And now this year, um, uh, can you remember a, a, a team rebounding from that? No, like you know, like you mentioned, like like Brian Kelly last year at Notre Dame, they were four and eight, and now they're you know they could make the playoff. That's a pretty big turnaround, um, but not you know multiple years in a row. I'm trying to, nothing that's popping in my head. Yeah, so uh, that kind of informs the last question here: is do you think there's any hope left for Mora? Do we have a final prognosis? In my learned opinion, yeah, I think it's at this point it's kind of just a matter of you know, whether it's going to be this year or next year, because like looking at next year's roster, I just don't, I'm not seeing a whole lot of uh, Pac-12 championship potential in that group coached by this group. Um, I think there's plenty of talent in the program for, you know, somebody to come in and turn it around pretty quickly. Um, But it's hard to imagine given the, what we've seen from this, especially this defensive coaching staff. um, And I mainly mean like the, the coordination of this, of this defense, it's hard to see them, suddenly becoming some elite defensive unit that's going to, you know, play aggressively all the time. So, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of think we're, we're nearing final prognosis here. Um, it's just a matter of when it's actually going to hit. You know, if they finish this year and somehow beat ASU and Cal and lose to USC and they go 6-6, six and six, it's probably not happening this year. Um, but I just it's hard to imagine a, a situation where they're suddenly back to being 9-3, and 10-2, and two, um, and competing for Pac-12 titles again. I just I, I have a hard time seeing that um, given the, the the trend of this program right now. All right, I think we got a couple more. We got this one's Pac-12 quarterbacks from Devin. Can you rank the starting quarterbacks? I'm interested where Herbert falls because I think he's the best quarterback in the conference when healthy. And I'm a dog fan, and so relieved we didn't have to play him this year. Thank you. Keep doing your thing. Hmm. 
That just, that's an interesting opinion. Um, I don't necessarily disagree. I, I really like the way Justin Herbert looked at the beginning of the year, but I think from like a, a talent standpoint, I still think it's probably, um, uh, gosh, I mean, it's, it depends how you want to write it. It's Khalil Tate um, because he's he's doing his thing in that offense better than anyone is doing their thing in any offense this year. Yeah. Um, but if you're talking about like traditional like passing quarterbacks, I still think it kind of runs through um, Rosen and Darnold. Yeah. It's like what you're saying, like best NFL potential, best in college. Like it's really hard to. But those the way Tate's been playing, and like you know, it's unfortunate for Herbert. Like I don't, I'm not going to rank him real high. He just hasn't been playing lately. Um, if you're saying like everyone's fully healthy, everyone's, you know, I don't know, but like, I, I think some order of Rosen, Darnold and Tate, uh, with like, you know, I, I put Falk in like the next group cause he's getting been benched a couple of times, but he still yeah. throws like, you know, re- put some ridiculous numbers and stuff up there. And Browning's in that next group too, for being like completely serious. Um, he's in that next group because that next group extends all the way to 10. <laughs> he is he is in my top 10 i've always uh no but like browning's probably like top five ish um because i mean kj Cassell hasn't shown any yeah. like anything anywhere near enough at stanford keller christ obviously isn't very good um ross bowers i think gets the most out of his talent but i don't think he's a top half qb in the league uh steven montez has that potential but he hasn't performed at that level consistently enough tyler huntley definitely has that potential and if you're talking about a guy if we're like projecting who could jump into the top four conversation next year, just kind of out of nowhere. I think Tyler Huntley would be there. Um, but, and Manny Wilkins, I think has been fine. I think he's maybe like in the top six or seven. Yeah. But like Herbert. So I, you know, I think Herbert would be in the six range or something probably. Um, I mean, yeah, I think that's fair. And, and again, he's another guy who could jump in. It's yeah. just, he hasn't, I mean, he hasn't played in like four games now. But you're like at the bottom. You're like you know whoever Oregon State rolls out there, Stanford. <laughs> um, I mean, who's like, yeah, they're just like whatever. Like I don't know. I mean, they're how do you even rank them? You know, I don't know. Uh, it's it's. I think you just kind of throw darts. Yeah, but that was a good one. Was I too harsh on Rick? Was I too harsh on Rick Neuheisel? I I, I think he's. I mean, I just like him. I think he's a nice dude. Um. You're tough. I think him, he's a nice enough guy too. Yeah, but it just—I—I I, I wouldn't want him anywhere near my football team. Yeah. Um, what's? Oh, I thought we had one more question, but this is like some. No, we don't. No, we don't. I'm just ranting about Rick Neuheisel again now. Oh, this is uh, what we get these emails like. I don't know what this is like. Media advisories and stuff like. It's because we're so big time that people, people just us want seriously. us covering their stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, if you email us like some kind of business opportunity or something, like I'm usually okay at responding, but it's just kind of busy right now. Dave does not like. To I, I have. I. I don't think I've responded to a personal email in like seven years. <laughs> I can't get him to respond to anything, so we'll. Uh... It's such a crapshoot with me because there'll be moments <laughs> where I'll respond within seconds to everything you send, and then there are weeks where you could you could try to contact me seven different ways, and I will not respond to a single one. <laughs> I'm an infuriating person. Infuriating. Yes, but we love you anyway, Dave. Like that's, oh, that's nice. That's why that's why this works, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's why we can sit on the phone for two hours after I just talked for an hour and fifteen <laughs> minutes to my beat writer on the podcast, and my wife texted me going, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "We're just we're talking. I don't know. Like, this is what we do." 
<laughs> oh god! Kids broke stuff. You know, they, your yeah. kids don't want you to do a podcast so much they came in and broke your equipment. I know, I know. I'm gonna have to invest in a new mixer because they broke my stuff. Just so I can continue talking to you <laughs> for no money. Like we used none. to drive. We used to drive to Fox and do this. You know, like, I used to commute an hour to come record a stupid podcast. At that time, we got like 800 downloads. Yeah. Like, just nothing when we were starting this. Yeah. Now it's good. Now we got many, many thousands. We do appreciate everyone listening. We have many millions. Don't, oh, don't millions, discount yes. us. Many uh, millions. The silent majority. And there's like some really famous listeners too, which is great. You know, like important people. So th- those count yeah. for more than just one. Like the seven people, all of whom uh, email us every single week. <laughs> like I, I, I do want to like, so these seven people email us every week and you know, we get it that you, 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 you out there might think, Oh, maybe this is, this is the entirety of the listenership. It's not, it's just these people like to email us and that's yeah. fine. Love it. Well, I'm sure you get the broadcast too. Like there's, you get, you get a groove. There's certain people that just love listening. I mean, there's a lot of people that love listening, but there's a certain few that, that will write in. And we, you know, we get the same thing on the message boards, the people, the whatever group of people that always post on the boards, that's like 5% of the people like they're the, they think that they're the whole board, but so many people come up to you and be like, I I'm on the board every day, but I never post. My name is blah, blah, blah. Like that's the majority of people. Yeah. Tracy and I were talking about that one day and we, we decided that it was about a 10% thing. 10%. Okay. 10% of the people post and then 90% are just silent and just read and that's it. Um, and, uh, I would say that 90% and uh, this, I, I think we're included in that 10%. The 90% is definitely a saner group, like a much <laughs> like significantly better mental health. And look, we're all, Ryan and I are both people who, you know, spend a lot of time on message boards. So we're definitely not in that 90%, <laughs> but I really respect those 90%. They're, they're great. They're great people. Yeah. They're, they're there for information and, they, and sometimes it can be intimidating. They don't want to post cause then, you know, a lot of the, it's not very hospitable sometimes. If you come with one opinion, someone's going to tell you you're an idiot and all that kind of stuff. So we, we don't really want to be that way. We're not trying to ridicule anyone that writes into the podcast. So we definitely encourage you to write in. We do appreciate the uh, the calls and the emails and all that. Always. Yeah, it's fun. All right. Well, I guess we should wrap it up. You can, Dave's going to go. You're going to, do you beat your kids like corporal punishment? Are you, you into that? I'm sure, you know. But. No, no. And it's actually not something I'd be able to admit to on a podcast these days because of, us liberal types um, <laughs> out here preventing people from beating the crap out of their kids. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, we, we don't do that. <laughs> Instead, I will probably uh, not say anything and uh, just buy a new thing because uh, that's honestly like it's like it's like trying to train a dog unless you get them in the act or like immediately thereafter. It's hit or miss where they'll even remember what they did. Oh, gotcha. Uh, okay. Because, like, I just discovered this. It doesn't mean it happened right now. It could have happened, I mean, the last time I recorded a podcast was, like, Saturday. So it could have happened yesterday at oh, some yeah. point. And yesterday is years, years in the past to a four-year-old. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's whatever. Like, oh, don't, but it's my fault. Why do I leave it out? Why, why would I leave something out for a four-year-old to touch? I should, at any given moment, take all of my things and just put them in a high cabinet at all times. This is what having children is. I would be worried, like, obviously my wife and I don't have kids, but I would be worried that they would just mess around with the buttons. Like, I would hide it just for the point of I don't want my settings well, that, all Well, that was another issue, is that every single one of the dials <laughs> on this was pointed directly up instead of to the left. Um, so, 
uh, when I was trying to record this on Saturday, when I was trying to record my broadcast just to myself, all of the sound was screwed up, and I was like talking into this crazy delayed echo, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I actually looked at my um, my uh, mixer, and it was all screwed up. So. Nice. I have well, children. It's a, a great uh, thing, and I, I I recommend it. Yes, strongly. Nice. Well, yes. I don't. I don't. I was not encouraging you to beat your four-year-old daughter. I was just kind of joking there, obviously. But um, for people that are like, "Hey, that's terrible," um, no. Look, all all jokes are uh, are fine. Okay. Here at the podcast uh, camp, <laughs> we do appreciate it. But hopefully, um, you get a new mixing board soon. But I think it sounded okay. Uh, but don't you know? I'm sure we'll get some emails about how terrible it sounded and stuff like that. Oh yeah. But you know that's the way it goes. But thanks so much, uh, everyone, for listening. Um, we do appreciate spending two two hours of your day or multiple days of whatever you're doing. Uh, go for a nice long run. You know, you can run a half marathon in the time that you listen to. The if, if you're really fast, you could run an entire marathon. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like I'm thinking more. Yeah, like if you you're could, running, uh, what, what I should say. You could win a marathon listening <laughs> to the podcast of Champions. Yeah, you would win with a few minutes to spare. Yeah. <laughs> You're from Kenya. I don't know if any Kenyans listen to our show, but if they do... Any be a Kenyans good... out there? <laughs> we are now over the two-hour mark officially, so uh, I don't. Think, I think the fastest time is like 205 or 209 or something, it's something like that, right? I don't think... I think somebody's broken the two-hour mark, no? Really? Okay, maybe not. Okay. Uh, let's look it up. Hold on. I want to let people know the truth here. Okay. On the uh, podcast of champions. What is the two o two fifty seven? So I think we're like right there. We are very close. We're like in a minute or so. We could like filibuster a little bit longer, but I don't think we should. No. Um, those are extra megabytes or gig whatever out there. In well, the- okay, so we'll say this: you could set a marathon world record listening to the podcast of champions. That's a great way to put it. I think maybe that's our new uh, slogan going forward. We don't have to take a little shot at the Pac twelve networks. We can take a shot at how long we talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for listening to the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next week.